Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, we are doing our top 10 lists of 2021. We'll also be naming Real Blend's top five movies of the year. And Simon Kinberg joins us to discuss the 355. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Happy New Year, Blenders, and welcome to episode number 197 of Real Blend, a podcast that definitely has a larger audience than the Golden Globes. It is our first (laughs) show of 2022, and I swear to you guys, this is the year we are going to figure podcasting out. This is the year. I feel really good about this one, so... Stick with us, subscribe, uh, and follow along. On this week's show, one of the most exciting times of the year, we're going to be doing our top 10 list of 2021. Uh, We are also going to be naming Real Blend's top five movies of the year, uh, which means all of our collective lists smash together. Uh, And because Hollywood is back at it with the 355, we have director Simon Kinberg joining us as our guest. And by us, I mean for the very first time of 2022, Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hello, Kevin. How are you, sir? Sean, Jake, Gabe, missed you guys, obviously. I mean, we talked on the text thread, but I mean, I missed y'all just doing the show together. And uh, I'm looking forward to people here in the Kinberg interview. Just a little tease for that. There's a really cool story in there about Mr. and Mrs. Smith that I think people are really going to dig. Oh, that's um, a great So one. very excited about that. But uh, yeah, uh, great great to see you guys as always. And love you guys. You guys know that. So In the uh, third chair, Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago, uh, where I assume that it's pretty cold today. How's it doing today, it, Jake? It's, it is a balmy, uh, I think it's always important to know what it feels like i think it feels like four <laughs> yes yes literally four <laughs> which, is, which is why i'm all like cozy and bundled up because as soon as i get home i rip off my suit and just get all my cozy clothes on i love the single digits in chicago uh and <laughs> off camera but but still equally important to the show gabe kovach is joining us uh, in the producer's chair gabriel how are you sir welcome back boys happy new year does the producer's chair year. like feel different is there more cushion Yes. Um, actually, there's no. I've been squatting the whole time. There's no chair. We can't afford the chair for the producer. Power, power squats. I've got massive thighs. You can buy one con- on the Real Blend website. <laughs> I'm convinced that Gabe owns two T-shirts. The Jurassic Park one that he's wearing now. Yeah. That's a popular and one. I can't. I can't think of the other one that he wears all the time. But that's the that's the one I see all the time on Gabe. You know which one he should be wearing is a Real Blend T-shirt. 
He should be yes. promoting the show constantly. I own at least two the of audience. them. Uh, to that end, if you're watching us on YouTube and want to see Gabe's shirt, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, head down, give us a like and a subscribe. It is our goal in 2022 to grow out the audience of this show. Uh, look at Jake is showing off like a good host showing off merchandise for our audio listeners. If you want to join us in video form, head over to youtube.com backslash real blend podcast. Uh, we are available everywhere. You get your podcast needs met in 2022, uh, including Spotify. So now we're on Spotify guys. So if you listen to podcasts on Spotify, which is something that I started doing over the holiday break, by the way, um, I started checking to see a couple of different podcasts that were recommended to me and enjoyed finding uh, some new ones, which I won't <laughs> kind of mention on the show because I'm not going to promote them. They're not doing anything to help us out. <laughs> How do you have Why time? would I? Um, I did a lot of driving over the holiday uh, and my family, I'll let you know, my family, when they're in the car with me, fall asleep instantly because I'm an exciting person. apparently, <laughs> 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 And they're instantly falling asleep. But listen, here's the thing about Spotify that is equally important. Um, it lets you leave ratings for your favorite podcasts. So please help us. Spread the love by dropping us a, you know, a five-star rating is what I would like to see if you want. But be honest, you know, four, three, whatever well, you guys feel like. Well, be honest, but be kind. That's what I always yeah. say. Be, be kind, honest, I think be that's kind. fair. Be but kind, because, rewind. Because uh, those ratings help us grow the show and hopefully get us recommended. Uh, resolution for 2022. I want to get recommended on the Apple uh, podcast page. We, um, I found shows. out that last year we ranked yeah. in the top 30 in like Norway on apple podcast oh, oh that's yes. wild really yeah, yeah wow. I get it. it was something like that it was a random stat that got thrown so my way that's where our next meetup is going to be i, I think oh, it's yeah. got to be old i'm in research some uh some bars in that area yeah just yeah. Just, no, just no shake shack for you for a year so you can spend, save up that money to send us all oh, that's a month's Norway. worth of shake shack maybe yeah yeah, yeah. that's maybe a week <laughs> one trip yeah. i don't know if i can give up shake shack uh i made burgers for the family yesterday and brendan told me that my burgers are better than shake shack they probably oh. are. I don't know if that's a compliment to me or a dig at Shake Shack. Oh. I'm not quite sure. Well, Shake Shack is good. It's oh, not it's the good. end all be all that you say it is. Okay. But uh, maybe your burgers were better than Shake Shack. I mean, I, that's not surprising <laughs> to me. And he's the honest one with me, too. It's the other one I can't trust yeah. all that much. Uh, <laughs> this is a hot topic of conversation that we're throwing it uh, out to you guys as part of the weekly poll. Will Spider-Man No Way Home actually get a Best Picture nomination? And we bring this up because there's been a lot of buzz lately. And I'm starting to see when I go to the websites for the trades, Deadline, Variety, there's ads. Ads campaigning for Spider-Man No Way Home to get uh, a Best Picture nomination. As there should be, by the way. I think so, too. There's no reason I'm why sorry. Sony yeah. shouldn't throw their hat into the ring. I'm not even saying that it's a movie that I think should win, necessarily. No, just um, be nominated. I'm a little biased. I, I kind of think that it, you know could and should win i like it more than the movies that are being trumpeted as front runners for the moment right now but um we asked you guys and uh jake i'll throw it to you uh we only gave two choices yep or nope <laughs> do you think spider-man no way home is going to get a best picture nomination i am going to say nope you say nope i say and what nope. do you think the people said i think the people said nope yes they did say nope but it's closer than you think 46% of the people said yes. Really? 54 How said How much of no. that is wishful thinking? I mean, it it's all be. wishful thinking. I remember, like, it was, like, what, it was just a couple of years ago that, that Disney put out those really classy black and white Avengers Endgame, consider us oh, yeah. for best picture, like those really yeah, yeah. dramatic looking, like, Oscar type of, and it's like, look, if, if Endgame doesn't get in, 
Far from can home. I, well, can no I way quick... home's a better movie than Endgame. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No way. Uh, no, I agree with you. It absolutely is. Yeah. But since when does that have any? Since when does quality have to do anything to do with the Oscars? Question though, I want to pull the three of you because I, I I kind of agree with this sentiment, which I saw a lot of people sort of commenting, which is, does it really deserve a Best Picture nomination? Yes. Well, yes, the, picture. I'll give you my reasoning. It's first Bad. of all, I mean, this goes back to a zillion conversations we've had on the show. Well, you asked the questions. I mean, we, we going back to all the zillion conversations we've had on the show about the Academy Awards and what an Academy Award worthy film is. And, you know, they they always, for the most part, leave out action, horror, superhero films, uh, comedies. It's always it's generally a drama or an Oscar type of film. And I believe that No Way Home is is a great film, regardless of genre. It is well directed. It is well performed. Holland's performance is brilliant. Everybody in it is delivering incredible performances. It's directed well. The action's incredible. The script is great. I do well, not see a reason why. I mean, this is a quality film. It's not just a popular movie. That's, that's the one thing I really hate about the discourse online right now is that everyone is saying like, oh, because they should be giving it a popular award, popular movies deserve to be nominated. I think it's a quality thing. But, it's a quality wanna, good movie. I'm I want to ask it's one not, question. I want to ask one question. Um, this is a visual for people who are watching on YouTube, but we're about to do our top 10 lists of the year. And we're not going to give away any kind of spoilers or reveals, but raise your hand if Spider-Man No Way Home is on your list of the 10 best films that you saw in 2021. There we go. I mean, there's your answer. All three of us raised our hands. Yeah, I'm so, telling you, it's a quality, great film. It's not, I don't care how much money it made. I don't care how popular it is. I, it is a great film that deserves to be nominated. I don't care about popularity. It doesn't have anything to do with that. Well, I don't here, know if we, would I mean, you like, here's okay, another here's the, here's film that's going to get nominated and actually be a contender. And that's on all of our top, I'm assuming on all of our top 10 lists. So it's not this popular though. No, but it uh, should be. Look, look, I, I'm not saying that I know a lot about winning awards, but like some sometimes the rightful <laughs> winner wins, right? And some some sometimes well just done. maybe the person who's supposed to win wins. That's all right. I can that's that's right. Yeah, you believe in the system is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> well done. You guys need to fast forward to whatever point this was on the YouTube video and uh and bask in Jake's glory necessarily. Um yeah. all right, so wait, let's get wait, to this week's wait, wait. Wait, where are you guys at? Do you guys think it actually deserves a nomination? Sean, you oh, do. Jake, you don't. I 100% I, I, think it deserves I, it. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't think there's any point in doing 10 nominees if we don't consider films like this. Um, I like, will say... Like, like, what does that mean, like this? That That's the issue I have. Like, films it's that a otherwise wouldn't be... Con- no, no, what I'm talking about is like how angry I got when The Dark Knight, like a movie that crosses right. a threshold, is what I mean when right. I say like this. A movie that crosses, crosses the threshold uh, because... Popcorn uh, film d- d- elicits a certain reaction, and it's like mm-hmm. no, like there can be great popcorn films, you know. Like Dark Knight was a massive blockbuster. It was also one of the greatest films ever made, and it literally was the reason they created ten the whole ten nominee system. So right. then include films like The Dark Knight. Like that's the whole purpose. Because uh, they, the they had ten, they had ten prior like years ago, right? And then they went back yes. to five. They did five, for then the they went to ten. Because the reader ended up getting that spot from what we understand. But I I just don't want to live in a world anymore where like where we're dealing with films like, for example, Robin Williams and Mrs. Doubtfire. That doesn't get nominated because it's a comedy. It's ridiculous. I know we've had we've had the discussion. We've had the discussion. 
I think Avatar got a Best Picture nomination. It like, did. Avatar no, we're, sorry, like we're talking the, about good movies. Like the biggest parallel to a box a, office success that not that a good movie. Through. No, it's not a good movie. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna move on. Uh, we have a guest this week. It's director Simon Kinberg, who has a film coming to theaters called The Three Five Five, with a tremendous cast, and he's gonna talk to you all about um, putting that cast together and whose idea this movie was and how it uh, exists in the world of James Bond. And then, as Kevin pointed out. Uh, has a terrific, terrific story about his work on Mr. and Mrs. Smith uh, with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. So um, you don't have to listen to me set it up. You can listen to him tell it. Simon Kinberg on The Real Blend Podcast. I'm going to kick us off and just say that uh, I loved the, that the character of James Bond exists in this movie uh, and in this universe. He gets referenced because personally, um, whenever I hear the conversation about, you know, the idea of casting a female Bond, um, I tend to think, why don't we just create a different uh, and incredibly skilled and badass spy character of their own? And that's exactly what you end up doing with the 355. And so I want to know if you, if you can maybe elaborate on if that's your thought process also, and maybe just the difficulties of launching something new versus, you know, squeezing actors and actresses into an existing IP like Hollywood likes to do. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I grew up a huge fan of the James Bond movies. I should start there. Uh, and I've always wanted to do a sort of a straight spy film. I, I wrote Mr. and Mrs. Smith, but it's not exactly a spy movie. It's more of a rom-com. And this idea came from Jessica Chastain. We were on the set of another movie. We'd, we'd done a couple movies together, actually, and had become close friends. And she said, what if we did a female um, ensemble spy movie? And, you know, there's a lot in there that's actually pretty novel. Obviously, female spy movies are, are fairly rare, but also ensemble spy movies um, are incredibly rare. You get Born and Bond and um, Kingsman uh, and, and down the list, but you don't usually get like the Ronin is probably the last one I can think of that was kind of an ensemble spy movie. So I got really excited about um, the opportunity to do something fresh in a genre that I love. Uh, and immediately um, we started thinking about the paradigm of obviously the ultimate spy, movie spy being James Bond and how we could play with that, um, how we could play with even the notion of like the Bond girls. Uh, and, um, and so we knew that somewhere in the movie we would wanna reference James Bond because we wanted the movie to feel like it lived in the real world. Mm. And in the real world, James Bond, the, not the actual spy, but the movie character exists and so, you know, to further differentiate other than their gender, to further differentiate our movie and our characters from that franchise, um, we referenced it. And in terms of your question of doing an original movie versus um, something based on a big piece of IP or a sequel, and I've done that, you know, I lived in the X-Men universe for a long time um, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, it, it. I think we're living in, in, in an interesting time right now where... There is huge opportunity to do original work, mostly in the streaming space. Mm -hmm. um, there isn't as much opportunity in the, in the theatrical space to do a big movie or a genre movie in that space. Certainly there's still art house movies, um, but, but less, less and less chance to do something really entirely um, original. Um, like we see Red Notice goes to Netflix, you know. And yeah, Red Notice, I mean, it's every now and then you get a movie like Free Guy that was an original film, um, sure. you know, and, and, and a big hit movie uh, and really well done. But, but, it is, but it's, it's harder. Uh, and, you know, when you get the opportunity to do it, um, you really want to take advantage of that opportunity. And, and 
more often than not, you were relying on movie stars um, to be the IP themselves. And in our case, um, we wanted to put together the best cast of actresses that we could um, from the most different um, cultures, continents, uh, really make it a global spy movie. Because more often than not, you know, you're, you're used to seeing the white British or American spy. Um, so that also was fairly novel or new about the movie um, as well. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it's harder. We, we made this movie um, a little differently than a normal studio movie. Uh, we put it together, Jessica and I, with, with the actresses um, and then went to the Cannes Film Festival and sold it at the Cannes Film Festival market, uh, the U.S. and the U.K. to Universal, who are our big partners on the film. Um, and then to different distributors in different, um, uh, you know, places around the world. Um, and so we had a lot of creative freedom when we were making the movie. Uh, so it wasn't just an original film. It was an original film made kind of like an indie film. Uh, and, and that was fun. And that was very different for me because I do come from the world of Sherlock Holmes, Cinderella, X-Men, Deadpool, Logan, um, you know, Murder on the Orient Express. Most of the movies I've made, frankly, um, have been uh, based on big pieces of IP. And, you know, it, it's a gift and a curse. The, the, the gift is obviously you have a, you have a, a big built-in audience um, and you have an opportunity to usually spend a lot of money because the studio has, has a lot of um, uh, trust uh, mm -hmm. title. But you also have um, some boundaries or limitations creatively because you do want to satisfy the fans mm -hmm. um, and are often a fan yourself. Like I'm a fan of everything that I've ever adapted, including Cinderella. Um, and, you know, you, you don't want to do wrong and make, you know, uh, a Cinderella where she doesn't get the prince at the end of the movie. Right. So, um, you know, that's there, there are there are rules that you have to abide by. And in an original, you make your own rules. Mm -hmm. You know, Simon, I was uh, I'm a huge fan of Junkie XL. Tom is an incredible uh, composer and I, I, his score really stood out for me in this film just as a character itself and in, in terms of like really moving the movie along. And I, I feel like his scores are just so powerful. Obviously, what he did with Mad Max Fury Road and everything he's done, uh, there's there's a there's a powerful impact that his music has on every scene. So I wanted to know if you can talk about like working with him. Do you direct almost him as a as an actor in a sense of because his music is a character in itself and like and the idea of like the way it the way it puts the fight scenes together it just flowed beautifully yeah i'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I i love junkie um tom yeah. um uh tom is his real name um yeah. Hulkenberg, but, uh, right yeah yeah tom openberg uh junkie xl is his you know dj and professional name um and producer name i you know he, he what's extraordinary about Tom, I'm going to call him, because um, Junkie just seems... Like, <laughs> just, it sounds really like Junkie XL. Yeah. Yeah, well, Junkie as like a one name sounds out of context, a little bit bizarre, but so um, our composer, Tom, um, uh, I'd worked with him on Deadpool um, and had an extraordinary time working with him. What he did with Mad Max, I thought was not just a character to the movie. I thought that in Mad Max, he created a tone to that movie too. I mean, obviously everybody created the tone from the director to the actors to the cinematographer. But um, Tom was a huge part of that. And one of the things that I find the people, um, the composers who are the best um, that I've worked with at least, and, and I've worked with some of the best. I've worked with Hans Zimmer. I've worked with Max Richter. I've worked with Tom now. Um, and what they do is they bring um, character, emotion, and tone 
Um, and, and one of the things I really wanted this movie to feel like was that it wasn't um, a sort of a, like staid, static, serious, formal kind of film. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to feel messy and yeah. active and kinetic um, and, and aggressive. And that is something that Tom, I would say, does as well or better than anybody else. Yeah. Um, and, and so he did it with the action. I think often he did it even inside of some kind of mini action sequences, you know, or sort of transitional moments in the movie. He's just, he, he has a restlessness about him as a composer that I think lends itself extraordinarily well to action movies. It lends itself well to any movie where you want momentum um, uh, to, to the storytelling. So yeah, he was, he was, he was great. And he's just a great guy. He's a lot yeah. of fun. He has fun doing what he, what he's doing. Um, composing for movies was, was kind of always um, a dream of his. And so he's like a kid who's getting to live, live out his dream, which is always lovely, you know, in any category when you're working with that, whether it's a movie star or it's a cinematographer, whomever. Um, and, 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 you know, in terms of directing him, it was a lot like directing the actors mm. in the sense of it was deeply collaborative. Mm. And he had as many ideas as I had, um, mm. which is something that I always love from the greatest actors or the greatest um, crew members. And, um, and so he came with tons of sounds. And one of the things that he came with that I loved and we used immensely in the movie was just these drums. Yes. Just, yeah, because Mad Max was drum heavy too, right? That, it's so great, yeah. Yeah, there's like a, and I don't know if that comes from his DJ years of like knowing the power of beats, um, mm. but there's a percussive energy mm. to um, the score and it lends a percussive feeling to the action and to really the sort of overall tone of the movie. Um, and one of the things that percussion does other than, than speed, right? Cause like it can syncopate um, in the way that like, you know, most other instruments can't um, to speed is that it also is organic. You know, drums are different than synthesizers. Yeah, uh, they feel tribal. they're they're sort of they're tribal. Yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, it, he certainly used them in a tribal way in Mad Max. Yeah, and, you know, and I think a little less so in our movie certainly because our movie is less sort of over the top tonally. But um, but yeah, he he did he did some of that for us too, and um, he he's fantastic. I, and and again, just like a just a great just a great human being, which is yeah. um, always a pleasure. It's a great score too. So, yeah. Uh, Simon, whenever you're working with a, a big ensemble piece like this, I mean, one of the many things you can compliment uh, these actresses for is that they all take ownership over these roles. Uh, but I'm curious if, as to if it's so much so that could they come to you and say, you know, we've been thinking about it and I want to trade with Penelope or like, no, I want to trade with Jessica. Like, it was, is there ever a point where they have the right to? almost like, like, like baseball trading cards, like trade roles in a way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how much of it was trading. Um, certainly there'd be moments where there'd be, they would trade maybe moments or, or lines um, or they would uh, ask another actress before they would ask me. Cause there's a sort of respect among actresses, certainly of this caliber where they'd, they'd ask the actress, you know, are you comfortable if I say this, knowing that it will prompt you to have to say something different mm -hmm. um, than is scripted? Uh, but but when you say are they allowed to, they were not just encouraged, but it was just part of the deal. I mean, you know, making this movie, um, it, I certainly have the title of director of the film, but I consider myself part of a collaborative team or family 
that made the film. So in some ways is the filmmaking team. And I don't mean that in the general sense of the sort of like, you know, everybody that, that was on set was part of that team, though, you know, everybody on set is part of a team. But the team I'm talking about is really the actresses and Sebastian and Edgar um, and, and, and myself. And we spent so much time on set, off set, on weekends, before we ever started shooting, um, building these characters, building these scenarios. And it goes all the way back from the beginning. Again, I, you know, this was Jessica Chastain's initial idea. Then Jessica and I just started spitballing ideas. Then we got the actresses together and they spitballed ideas. They constructed their characters from scratch in many ways. I mean, Penelope's character, when we originally imagined her, was this sort of spitfire character. And Penelope was like, no, no, I want to do something the exact opposite. I want to be a mom who's um, has a family and has never been out in the field and is the fish out of water. And we loved that idea. And that was an idea that was completely out of Penelope's imagination. That's awesome. Um, wow. And, and so, you know, and Jessica had really specific ideas about her character. Every, 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 down the line, everybody did. Lupita had really specific ideas about her character in terms of being a computer expert, which is not something that we were doing. scar. Yeah. yeah. Is there a story behind the scar? I was wondering that. The story behind the scar is that um, Lupita, as you would imagine, given um, the sort of nuance and depth of work she's done, gets really into research for the character. And so we had an expert who um, uh, is a computer expert uh, who'd worked in military intelligence and um, all kinds of other arenas that were relevant to her character. And he spent an immense amount of time with her, so much so that he would write me sort of lines to replace some of the kind of, you know, filler BS Googled uh, hacker dialogue <laughs> that I've written. Um, he gave me the real deal stuff. And um, he himself had that scar. And so oh, wow. she actually wanted to like almost fully inhabit this real person, um, even though he's very, very different than her character. Um, and so that's where the scar uh, came from. That's cool. Um, that's yeah. So, cool. and, you know, that's a, that, that's a small example and a physical example rather than a dialogue one where she was like, I had this idea for to, you know, put this scar uh, on my face. And I was like, cool just gives you more personality. It gives you more of a sense of history. Right. right. Um, and I think it also, you know, one of the things that was important to me um, and certainly was important to the actresses about this movie is that it didn't feel as though it was a glamorization or a glam of a spy movie. Um, and, you know, I think that so many times when you do have female spy movies or female action movies, it can sometimes fall into the trap of being, um, you know, feeling like it's like glammed up uh, as opposed to what real spies in the field do and look like and deal with. And certainly, obviously, we have five extraordinarily beautiful women. That, 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 that's, that, that's unique um, probably to the real world. But, you know, within that context, um, our, our actresses really wanted it to feel, again, as, as sort of real and as grounded and gritty as possible. Um, so the scar really helped with that tone. So there's a specific scene I would love for you to break down for us, if you could. Uh, it's not a spoiler, but you know, a lot of times we, we've all seen so many action films that a lot of times when you get to a fight sequence, you can almost glaze out, you know, like, okay, well how, but when choreography really kicks in and it's different, you know, you sit up and take notice and there's a moment in a scene where Lupita's character turns off the lights 
and and your characters are fighting in the dark and there are these multiple flashes, you know, where you sort of see the action. And we've seen that done before, but I've never got a chance to ask a director of like, do you choreograph everything that we don't see? Like, how do you shoot that? Do your actors know when they're going to be lit and what they need to show? Like, can you just maybe elaborate a little bit on how that gets put together? Absolutely. Um, that fight that you're talking about, which is uh, sort of uh, the Lupita's character, like you said, turns out the lights and then they're fighting in the dark and the flashes are, in fact, um, gunshots that are, that are lighting those moments. The actresses and the stunt people um, who you know stand in for the actresses uh, for some of it, but the actresses in this case did pretty much almost all of their stunts. Um, some of them crazy stunts, like Jessica jumping off of when to the outside of the docks, she ran down that beam, across that beam, she, she jumped off onto the um, uh, thing on the boat. Uh, they really wanted to do their stunts. Again, they wanted it to feel as real as possible. So, and they really learned the fights. We luckily have Jessica's a former uh, ballet dancer. So she's actually someone who memorizes um, stunt stuff really quickly, um, fight stuff really quickly. Um, Diane similarly, and they did the bulk of the fighting. Um, uh, they got to do it all because uh, they don't know when those lights are going to flash. Oh, um, obviously, they're not actually muscle flashes. Um, they're lights that, that we use. Um, uh, so we have a sense of it. But from take to take, and you know, there's many takes and there's many angles that you're shooting of a fight. So let's say even you get it in one take, you've still got a new angle to move to. So mm -hmm. you've probably got a minimum of a three to five angles that you're setting up. Um, and in truth, you're really doing each of those angles, even if you're good three to five times. Mm. So it's, it's, you know, if you do the math, that's 15 to 25 times you're doing that fight minimum wow. at a minimum. Um, and I know many directors that would use many more cameras than that, more, more setups. Um, and, and we may have, I don't remember, um, to be honest, but, mm. um, so you're not sure entirely when those flashes are going to go off and so and when they go off you're you're not sure how much of the depth of the field you're really going to be able to see mm -hmm. so you want to make sure that whatever you are seeing everybody's actively fighting it's not like a, a millisecond before the light goes off it's go and then it's freeze and then it's go again right um, right right probably also because that would just be dangerous um it's actually weirdly safer um to have people know their choreography do it um, hope that you don't miss by half an inch and punch somebody in the nose. Um, and, uh, but you know, but if you've, if you've, um, if you've rehearsed enough, uh, you know, you're not going to punch somebody in the nose. Um, and so, uh, yeah, they, they, they do it all. And, uh, those lights are not random, but they're not perfectly timed. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're, and you're piecing it together in the edit room from 25 different takes. Wow. It looks really cool. Yeah, it's an amazing scene. Simon, one of my favorite moments in the film is, uh, it's earlier on, I guess, but when they're, they're sitting around talking about their first missions and for, and like, there's this great story that they're, they're all telling their stories because Penelope had just kind of like gone through her first like infield mission, mission essentially. Um, I want to flip that a little bit. I was wondering, do you remember your first time ever on a movie set, walking on a set and kind of like what, what movie or show it was and like, what, like how, if you were to tell like that story in that group setting, how would you explain your remembrance of it? I would, I remember it very vividly. Um, uh, I was 20, I was in my twenties. Um, <laughs> I wrote, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, uh, as my film school thesis. Um, Doug Lyman. 
Yeah, and Doug did an extraordinary job of directing it, and we made other movies since, and he's a good friend and an extraordinary filmmaker, and he had just come off of The Born Identity, speaking of great spy movies. Yeah. Uh, really, really, really a, a masterpiece of a spy movie. Um, and uh, it, we somehow that I sold the movie, somehow we got, you know, these incredible, perfect actors to play the parts. And Doug couldn't have been hotter. He'd made uh, Swingers go born in a row and then our movie. Smith. <laughs> so it was like he was he was really like on the, you know, steepest escalator you can imagine that's a good uh, run that's a good run it was amazing it's an amazing run yeah it's a start of career it's an amazing run um and so my first day on set was we were shooting on the fox lot we shot mr and mrs smith in los angeles uh it's the only film i've ever shot in my hometown um, <laughs> of the 20 something movies I've been on the set of probably maybe 30 movies i've been on the set of that i've had something to do with um only one in LA. I thought they'd all be in LA. I thought it'd all be as good as just waking up and rolling out of bed and going to work. But you probably have Canadian residency at this point. <laughs> I, you know, there was a stretch when we were making X-Men and Deadpool movies where I spent, I think it was seven or eight years where I spent more time in Canada than the US. So yeah, <laughs> all of them in Canada. Uh, I, had, I had actually bought an apartment in Montreal. <laughs> so um, any rate, having said that, um, the first day on set for me was I showed up on set and I remember um, the actors weren't um, obviously there yet and they were getting made up. Um, and uh, it was the therapist's office that starts and ends um, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yeah. So I saw these two empty chairs, um, a therapist's office in the background, um, nothing in the foreground because the camera never looked toward the therapist. So it was just a half shell of um, a set. And I remember looking at these seats and thinking, God, this was in my imagination as a college student. And in a matter of minutes or hours at the most, um, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie are gonna be sitting in those seats in what is actually the first scene of the movie. Wow. Um, and it was an extraordinarily surreal moment because I was in this huge sound stage on this little set of, an, of a therapist's office um, waiting for, you know, the biggest movie star in the world, Brad Pitt and Angelina, one of the biggest movie stars in the world at that point um, as well to, to, uh, to sit in and become and inhabit these characters. And wow. uh, yeah, I remember it. And I remember also Doug turning to me and saying, we will know within an hour if we have the movie or not. Oh. <laughs> what do you mean? Really? I don't know what that means. As my first day. And he said, well, we'll know if they have chemistry. Yeah. Um, we'll know if there's chemistry between the two of them. And didn't take an hour within the first take. We, Doug looked at me and he's like, we got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they had it. They certainly had yeah. it. Wait, certainly history has um, no spoilers. The history has... Um, uh, shown us that they had it for many years um, uh, uh, after that. And, um, and it certainly uh, showed as, you know, as actors on screen in that film. Oh, what a story. Thank you for sharing that. It's crazy with that in college. I had no idea that. Yeah, you, wait, did you say, you said Mr. And Mrs. Smith was your, your college thesis? It was my, yeah, I was, I, I was a, it was my MFA thesis. So I was a graduate, graduate film what? school. What? I, and this, uh, what, what did you 
get like do they grade that like did you get a grade <laughs> on it <laughs> they the, the the actual funny story is uh uh it's a pass fail so i passed um and uh the um I, I left school a little early because of that and um, other things I just started, I got really lucky and I started working while I was still in school. And um, so I, and I went to Columbia Film School in New York and uh, I felt like I had to move out to Los Angeles because a lot was happening in my career. And so I still owed a few um, uh, um, credits uh, to graduate, but I didn't really have time to go back to school because I was now like actively working um, in the craft in the, in, in, in the industry. And so I called the head, the dean of the school, and I said, look, you know, I'd really like to graduate. My parents paid the money to put me through graduate school and I put the time in, but I do owe these credits and I'm not sure when I'm going to have time to take the classes. Um, mm -hmm. So he said, right. And I was, I think I was done shooting Mr. And Mrs. Smith, but not editing it. And he said, well, write a paper on the making of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and we will give you a credit per page. We <laughs> <laughs> wrote a 15-page paper about the making of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. It's somewhere on a computer somewhere back in 2002 or three. Um, and uh, I mean, the movie came out in 2005. So yeah, it would have been probably 2003. You got to release that on the anniversary. Yeah, I'd say I'd love to see yeah, it. Man. I'd love to read it. <laughs> and so so would I. When I tell you it's on a laptop from 2003, I've had a lot of laptops since 2003. <laughs> I, 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 I'm sure it's on a floppy disk somewhere, but um, it's hard for me to find. I was actually just moving recently, and I found back then the dailies used to be on um, DVDs, and I have all the dailies uh, on DVD for Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Um, so those will be worth something someday. Wow. Uh, Wow. Yeah. Simon, I'm going to squeeze in one more before we have to cut you loose. Um, so I, I, like Kevin, I work for, for a morning show here in Chicago and, and it's in, and kind of like a movie set, it's part of it, an ensemble. It's myself and my co-anchors and my fellow reporters and a lot of like a, a lot of great people behind the scenes. And so about once a month, we all try to get together and go out for a beer or maybe go grab lunch after the show. And it's important for us to be able to have that like friendship outside of a set. How important is it for you, for your actors, when you're working for an ensemble, to go grab a bite to eat, go grab a beer after you're done filming? Like, like when did Jessica and Penelope and the entire gang, like, do they just hang out as friends when you call cut at the end of the day? I think it's incredibly important when you have an ensemble. Um, for the ensemble, if the ensemble are friends, yeah. right? Um, there are definitely ensemble movies where the ensemble are rivals the whole time, and you maybe want to foster that. Mm -hmm. um, but when they are becoming, there's a burgeoning friendship happening within the group, um, you really want that, again, that chemistry um, between the actors off screen that um, they're showing you on screen. And so, yeah, when we were making the movie, luckily we had that kind of chemistry and we would go to dinners um, and we would go out. We shot in London and Paris um, primarily. And it was, um, it was great fun. It was a lovely, it was a lovely summer um, that we all spent together. There were a lot of birthdays, um, everybody, not everybody, but a, a lot of us had kids. Um, I, uh, my two sons came, uh, my um, partner was pregnant uh, with our uh, baby girl. And um, mm -hmm. so like Penelope brought her kids and Javier to set all the time. And we all went to, they were there all summer. And so we, we had a, we had a, a lovely time and um, there was a lot of off camera camaraderie um, that translated to um, the chemistry that you see uh, on screen. 
That's awesome. Outstanding. Simon, um, we were so excited to get you on the show. You're always a great conversationalist with a ton of amazing stories. So thank you for coming on Real Blend. And uh, hopefully we'll get you back on soon. I'd love it. It was really nice. And also shout out to Lee Smith. Shout out to Lee Smith, one of the best editors in the business, man. Literally the best, buddy. The best editor in the business. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Always shout out to him. All right. Thank you. We want to thank Simon Kinberg for joining us on the show. And thank you to Universal Pictures as well, too, for giving us time with him. The 355 is going to be in theaters starting this week. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly, and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Okay, first show of 2022, which means that we are going to spend one last episode looking back on 2021. Well, I guess that's not true because when the Oscars come out, we'll start looking back on 2021 as well too. But we want to give you guys our collective top tens uh, and and talk you through the movies that meant the, the most to us. So Gabe, you have a whole system laid out. Why don't you tell the people how we're going to do this so that we can stay uh, somewhat efficient with this? Yes. So this shouldn't be overly complicated. Um, everyone is going to go through their top tens individually. Uh, we're going to go through everyone's number 10, then everyone's number 9, and so on and so forth. Um, the one thing that we're going to do to kind of keep things uh, nice and tidy is if someone uh, makes a pick, but that same movie appears higher in the list, they're going to save their discussion um, until we get to the highest point that it arrives on the list. Um, and then we'll just all have a roundtable discussion about why we love that movie. For example, if Jake picks uh, a movie at 10, but it's on Kevin's number five, then we'll wait until it gets to Kevin's number five, and then then all of us can discuss. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty much straightforward. And then when we're done, um, you could do the math at home if you want, but I have already done it, and I will yes. reveal so our excited. top five as a show. Our top five God, I really, uh, I movies. I really don't want Barb and Star to be on the I, I hope it's on there. I don't, it's, it's not on mine, so it didn't get any points from me. That'd be hilarious. It's, uh, well, it'll it be deserves interesting. to be on And I've got, some fun, I've got some fun stats to go along I with know. that. So we One, can go two. ahead and get started. Um, I think we're starting with Jake's number 10, but I'll let you take it away, Sean. Oh, we beautiful. are, Jake. Why don't you start with your number 10? And uh, you're my... going to discuss this, because I don't yes. think it shows up on anyone's list. Oh, I'm surprised it's not on Kevin's list. Um, My number 10 is Zola. 
uh, a movie that was just really, it's one of those, like, if it weren't an almost true story, you wouldn't believe it kind of film. Um, mm. The structure in which this was made, it was made with such a frenetic energy that I, I was captivated while watching it. It's both uh, fun to watch, which sounds like a weird word, but also horrifying, disgusting, hilarious, all at the same time. Um, Coleman Domingo. I really think it's probably the performance that it bothers me the most that he's not in the awards conversation. Mm. Um, I mean, his Oscar moment, the the clip is right there. Like, the clip that they would show is right there. Like, it wouldn't stand pick it out. What's fascinating about that clip, though, is that in out of context, it wouldn't make sense. Sure. Yeah. Because like, sure. like, if, like, cause like cause for people who haven't seen Zola, and weirdly enough, Zola is my number 12. I, See, I, 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 to, I knew it had to be really close yeah. on yours. I, I went to 13 because I had Bo Murdoch's inside at, at 12, or I'm sorry, 11, and then this was 12, and then Coda was 13. But the but uh, not to take away from Jake, and I want to continue your top 10, no, obviously, no, and your number 10 here. But this Coleman Domingo scene that he's referring to, you know, the whole film prior to this moment, he has a different accent mm. and he seems like this like fun guy. But he's obviously there's like a shadiness to what's going on, to what the characters are doing. And Jake is referring to this scene where he turns around in the car and just completely changes yeah. his accent and, into a different person. It's one of the most terrifying yeah moments i've seen in a movie in a long time because because you're in the back seat with zola in this moment where you realize just what you've gotten yourself into right it's it's it's, it's genuinely terrifying and sean i can't remember where you fell on it were you a fan i liked it a lot it didn't make my top 10 um it didn't stick with me i think Mm -hmm. is part of the reason why Mm -hmm. i liked it a lot while i was watching it i thought it was really fascinating it made me want to go research a lot more about it but i don't think i've gone back to it since one of my favorite interviews of the year was with the the director of the film that we had on on real she was terrific yes yes go check it out it was great i'll I'll say this we should plug all the interviews that are are tied to these top tens uh, for people who are maybe finding our show for the first time but um she gives a great a great story about that (laughs) about that really crazy (laughs) montage um but I, i will say this like you know shot super 16 it, it, i actually revisited it on new year's eve i watched it new year's eve again um and you know when you make your top 10 list and you release your top 10 there's always like one or two that you go oh i yeah. how did i forget that one yeah. and yeah. that for me was bo burnham's inside I, I i wish i i wish i readjusted my list to have him on there i just don't know what i would take it off but is it a problem yeah is it, it a is movie? a movie it's considered okay. a movie yeah okay. i mean it's like it's a, special, a special yeah it's like a comedy special but it's also a it's also like an art house movie yeah, i'm not gonna argue against because it. it's there's definitely fiction to it like it's not just like a a, yeah. a comp traditional comedy like structure it's, it's like yeah he's definitely playing it's a character brilliant. who's going insane but is also probably going it's it, it's fascinating i had a really weird moment when i was home for christmas with my mom and dad and you know, we live in this weird bubble where like we, we, we watch things and we, we have different takes and our viewpoints. And my mom's in her mid sixties or whatever. And so I sat down, I was like, mom, check out this movie, uh, Bo Burnham's inside. So I'm sitting on the couch. I'm like, I'm like, mom, this movie's brilliant. Like you have, you can't wait for you to see it. She was not into it at all. Yeah, I, was okay. was like, I don't think I can pay my mom to watch that. But I found that interesting because I think it's one of the best films I've or best things or specials i've seen in a long time yeah. but the a- the age gap mm-hmm. of how that film hit was mm-hmm. completely different it didn't it did not translate from my mom at all and sure. she watches movies all the time and i honestly didn't realize that until my watching my mom's face during the movie i'm like she's like she had no Dude, idea what was going and is on is there anything more uncomfortable than trying to show something you love <laughs> well, someone yeah. who doesn't get it i it's will so never forget someone showing picks up their phone and starts like texting or doing something when <laughs> 
Dude, I showed Moneyball to my neighbors. It was my number one movie of the year. And, and, and not only, like, that's when I realized how incredibly slow that movie is if you're not into it. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're so right. You actually feel the slowness for a film you might love when you're yes. watching it with someone you know doesn't like it. You, you yep. almost go, wait a second. This is kind of slow. Wait, wait. Uh, it, is a, it is a question. That's yeah, weird. Anyway, uh, so. Kev, go to number 10 and you get to discuss it. Oh, is this not on anybody else's list? Apparently not. not. I'm actually shocked it's not on Sean's list. Okay. It's not. It's right. Spider-Man No Way Home. <laughs> it is Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, I went Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Oh, um, I was surprised when I saw this on your list, to be honest with so, you. I didn't know you liked it that much. Oh, I loved it. And I'll tell you what happened. So, again, home with my parents for Christmas. And my also parents are... Also a real are, guest, by the way. Yeah, yeah, my mom and my my dad actually came up and asked a question at our live yeah. DC show. Um, and Two I, I was, years ago. Yeah, I was sitting down with him. My dad had Disney Plus on his TV. I'm like, Dad, have you seen Shang-Chi yet? Because he had never seen the first Doctor Strange. I put that on. He was blown away by that. Now, and, and I realized that they watched the big, huge, massive, like the Avengers and the Captain Americas. Yeah. But for characters they weren't familiar with, like Shang-Chi or Doctor Strange prior, they didn't really have interest in watching the solo films. Mm-hmm. So I put on the bus scene for my mom and dad and they were blown away. So then when I left after Christmas, they watched the whole movie and absolutely loved it. And that goes to that point I just made about Bo Burnham. It's interesting how that landed with my parents, but inside didn't for some reason. Um, But in terms of Shang-Chi, I mean, like I again went into this film not knowing a ton. I, I what really made this film make my list, to be honest with you, is all throughout the time period after the film came out was Simu Liu sharing these incredible behind the scenes moments of what he actually did on set. Like, mm-hmm. for example, there's that crazy scene in the bus where he like goes on the top and he slides down to the door. Mm-hmm. He really did that. I mean, like, yeah. obviously it was a set. But at the end of the day, I, I, I the commitment that guy had to the role is just incredible to me. Right. Um, and like, there's something great. I love hanging out with him and Aquafina's character. I think they have so much fun together. Um, it's Tony Leung, who's absolutely incredible in the film as well. Yeah, uh, great who, villain. Yeah, incredible. Um, and I just, I just really, really think that the film was a surprise to me. I didn't know much about Shang Chi. I think even going into Shang Chi, I think we were all like, "Is anyone going to see this movie?" Because like, yeah. no one knew the character. Um, I mean, not nobody, but you know, general audiences. Yeah. I felt like didn't know the character. Um, but yeah, I thought emotionally it hit. I thought the score was great. But that bus fight scene, no question, is the reason why it's on my list. I mean, if you watch that, there's a there's a wonder in that moment where he like is walking down the bus, taking out the bad guys. And he, I think he finishes it with that split kick with his legs up, which yeah, yeah, is yeah. so badass. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, like that film was a shock. Um, I, you know, I do I have problems with some of the maybe the CGI in the third act? Sure. Um, but that bus fight to me was one of my favorite scenes of the whole year. That's why it's number 10 on my list. And my parents yeah. loved it. Destin Daniel Cretton, uh, guest of the show. Make sure you go back mm. and dig up his episode as well, too. By uh, the way, this, this is going to be fun. I want to do this throughout the entire show. I want to I I, name drop everyone we get. Wait till we get to West Side so, Story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, what? So the, De- the Destin interview, I want to plug something. Uh, if you've never heard it, he tells this insane story about a shot, a shot in the film that he directed from oh. a hospital where That's his right. wife had just given birth to their child yep. and he wasn't able to be on set. So they FaceTimed him in so he could direct the scene from there. Go listen to the episode. It's incredible to hear that story. Very cool. All right. Uh, pick number 10 for me is one that we are going to save because it's going to show up a little bit later on someone oh. else's list. 
Uh, it is Zack Snyder's Justice League. We will discuss the Snyder Cut in depth when we get there. So that brings us back John, around to... what do you to know about the Snyder Cut? Jake's number nine pick. Uh, my number nine, I'm assuming I'm talking about it because no one else put it on Correct, you were discussing, yes. Yeah, Daenerys loved it. Um, <laughs> look, I, I really loved Malcolm Emery. Um, you guys remember I loved this movie earlier this yeah. year. And really, you know, I, I am a confessed sucker for uh, just scene, chewy, acting, just screaming and yelling. I love a good, like, cliche Oscar moment. And uh, I and this this movie is just that. This movie is basically two hours of that. It is a couple that comes home from uh, an awards or no from a premiere, and mm-hmm. uh, then they realize that uh, something bad happened and annoyed one of them, and uh, and that sort of snowballs into the kind of fight that normally you don't come back from, where you start saying a lot of things that you uh, really regret or maybe have had uh, buried deep inside of you. I think Zendaya and John David Washington just rip into this script um from uh, the creator of euphoria and uh, it's just i absolutely loved it i've watched it a couple of times actually love the cinematography it's the result it's one of those like stuck in a home uh movies that was the result of covid um because they were like well let's just come up with something that we can shoot easily and Mm. and i loved it and i'll never look at mac and cheese the same again yeah, Sam, Sam, the same again. Sam Levinson, shout out to him because he's the guy who works on Euphoria and, and, and Marcel, I believe the DP for Euphoria shot Malcolm and Marie on film. It, it, it's it's an incredible film. And Jake brings up the mac and cheese thing, but it's not it's, it sounds funny, but it's literally the most insane shot of a mac and cheese I've ever seen in a movie. Um, <laughs> but in all honesty, like that's a great, great pick. I actually um, that probably be my top 15 if I were to go that far down. But okay. um. Yeah, great film. Great con- choice, con- by the way. To continue our trend, John David Washington, guest on the show. Yes. <laughs> so make sure you dig up that episode and uh, have him talk about... Well, he, of course, we talked about Malcolm and Marie, but if you think we didn't ask him tenant questions, you don't know the show very well. <laughs> we, also <laughs> asked, we also asked him tenant questions when he was on for tenant. Yes, we did. Yeah. So, you know, just double with, up. Uh, who joined him in that episode? Yeah, who was uh, he paired with for that? Some guy? Uh, some, like, new... He was he was working with some young director. It was like he was trying right. to build his profile. Are you saying that people should go backwards and find that interview? <laughs> if you listen to the interview backwards, it uh, doesn't make any sense. The trick is, <laughs> the interview hasn't happened yet. <laughs> and we're still not ready for it. Uh, Kevin, you were on pick number nine, yeah. and you were discussing it at length. This is not on your list, yeah, We have very varied It's not. Tennis. It is not. Okay. I loved Licorice Pizza. Oh, um, nice. Absolutely love this film. Um, I'm going to see it hopefully this weekend on 70 millimeter. They're showing it on the street here. Uh, oh, yeah. No question. Um, Gabe, did rude. you see it? I still haven't seen it yet. No. But I'll, okay. I'll see it soon. I think Gabe um, will like it. Here's what so, I'm going to say about it real fast before you dive in. I feel like I will see this movie again later and I'm going to regret not putting it on my top 10. I've only seen so it the too. one time. I've only seen it the one time. So I had to put others above it. So I mentioned the bus fight in Shang-Chi being a big reason why that ended up on my top 10. Um, There's a scene in Licorice Pizza that also, I guess, would be on the same lines of like the reason why it ended up on my list. But then on top of that, Cooper Hoffman, you know, Alana Haim, like like everybody in this film is on fire in terms of like delivering great performances. What blows my mind to me is like every time, even to watch Phantom Thread, for example, where you have a scene where a character's buttering toast and it's like more intense than most action scenes I've seen. He has a way of like putting you in normal situations and creating such a masterful way for you to be immersed in it. Um, there's a scene in Licorice Pizza where uh, Alana and Cooper are in a truck and it, I think it, was, it runs out of gas, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I remember correctly. And it 
literally it's this it's this intense moment of, a, of it rolling down the hill um and it's a long scene and i was on the edge of my seat more than most action scenes i've been in a long time and it's like right. this non-scene of a of a truck running out of gas um <laughs> which is just crazy um <laughs> and, and and to me like uh, even though bradley cooper's only in it for like about 10 15 minutes or so he's phenomenal um i think PTA also DP'd a little bit of the film as well. I think he DP. I think he DP'd Phantom Thread as well. I could be wrong on that, um, but he's like there's two DPs on the film. I think he's definitely one of them. Um, shot on film, obviously blown up to 35 or shot 35, blown up to 70. If you get a chance to see it on 70 millimeter. Um, but again, oh, this is a good time to do this. Johnny Greenwood might have had the best year from out of any composer that I've seen. What else did he work he, on? He did uh, Spencer. Power of the Dog. He did. Licorice Pizza, and what was it? Power of the Dog? Yep, Power of the Dog. So all three of those uh, were Johnny Greenwood, uh, the guitar player, Mm -hmm. lead guitar player for Radiohead, but obviously probably most known in the film world for maybe There Will Be Blood, which was like probably one of the best scores of all time. Even Kirsten Dunst said she listened to the There Will Be Blood score before shooting a scene in Power of the Dog because Johnny was scoring both, um, and she wanted to like get in that headspace. Because Greenwood is very famous for his scores having a horror element to them. They almost kind of like, like his scores remind me of how I feel watching the shining. Mm-hmm. And I think like even Spencer, for example, I thought Spencer had a shining vibes completely. That movie's like a straight up mm-hmm. horror film. I mm-hmm. thought, um, but Greenwood's score for licorice pizza is wonderful. I mean, obviously the soundtrack is great too. It, you know, people are comparing it to Tarantino's Hollywood and shorts, the hangout film at that time. And uh, you know, was it the seventies for licorice pizza and Hollywood was 69. So same more time days period, essentially. To me. Yeah. I, I, I put yeah. more on that. that but line. under but the I, umbrella of, like, hangout films. Like, if, you know, sure. if, if, yeah. Mm-hmm. Last thing I'll say about it, though, is uh, Cooper Hoffman, you know, there's a there's a sense that when you watch the film that he could have easily been a distraction in terms of, like, oh, that's Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. Mm. But from the moment he was on screen till the end of the film, I was just immersed in his character. He's I so confident. Was, he's unbelievable um and then there's like the beauty of the movie is pta does capture some great moments where maybe he'll smirk like philip seymour hoffman and then as a fan considering pta's history with philip seymour hoffman and obviously boogie nights and magnolia and i think they did hard eight um uh, to get yeah punch drunk uh wait hoffman was in magnolia as well right yeah um the master there's yeah the mouth the master pt god his film his filmography is absurd what's great too is that they're all so different you know, Huge. like he doesn't just yeah. he, he doesn't remake the same movie at all. It's crazy yeah. how varied his filmography is. But you do get a little bit of Hoffman, Philip Seymour Hoffman come out a little bit in the performance in just the perfect places where you got to go. You kind of get a little warm in your heart mm-hmm. to see kind of his dad's legacy living on through this film, um, because Philip Seymour Hoffman will always remain alive through the medium of cinema and that's Mm -hmm. the beauty of movies um so i just love that cooper did it and it's a great performance and it wasn't just he's philip seymour hoffman's son he delivered a damn great performance i love that Mm -hmm. movie all right number nine on my list is uh i care a lot with uh great choice with just a terrific terrific movie it's available on netflix i don't think a lot of people know about it um I kind of don't want you to know about it. I want you to go into the story as as blind as possible if you haven't watched it yet. Um, I will. Here's what I'll give you. Here's the setup. Um, Rosamund Pike plays a a woman who essentially abuses the court system to take legal guardianship over senior citizens. 
Uh, she has a judge who's kind of in her pocket and she has a nurse who's kind of in her pocket who recommends people uh, who probably need someone to come over and take over their um, their their finances legally. And she de- she gets them declared. Uh, uh, what's the what's the way to phrase it? Uh, like basically that they are unable uh, mentally to continue uh, taking care of themselves. And she bites off more than she can chew when she takes on. Um, one lady played by the amazing Diane Weist. Uh, and it turns out that Diane Weist is not uh, unable to take care of herself. Uh, and then uh, it keeps going downhill from there very quickly. And I don't want to tell you all the places it goes, but it is as pitch dark uh, and smart and totally surprising uh, as any film that I've seen this year. It, it's great because I knew nothing going into this movie. It's so rare that we get a chance to do that. Uh, I, I heard good things about it at the end of last year, but I caught up with it on Netflix and was blown away by it. And then doing a rewatch over this past holiday break, uh, PJ happened to walk into the room when I was in like the first five minutes of it. And he, he was standing there watching it, standing there watching it. Then he sat down um, and then he he goes, pause it. And I pause it. He goes, how much was on before I came down? And I was like, five minutes. And he just was hooked. It just ca- carried him through all the way to the end. Uh, Pike is amazing. Diane Weiss is amazing. Peter Dinklage is amazing. I won't tell you what he does. Uh, but put this movie on your list I gotta be and honest, seek I it out. I haven't seen it. Dude, you it's have excellent. to play it. Uh, okay, I'm like you saw like okay. And also, I, I know you've told me to. about it a couple of times throughout the year, and I just never got put it around on to tonight. It. It's on Netflix. Just put it on. I guarantee Sean, it'll hook you. Sean, I what uh, I love the film because it's 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 just an entertain it's inter- it's entertaining in a in a weird way. Yeah, but I also had no idea about this situation. Like, no, I this know this is a real this is a real thing, and like like I didn't realize. This is like a business. I mean, I mean clearly, I, I know it sounds crazy to say that I didn't know it, but I didn't realize how big of a deal it was. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Whoa! And one of the most yeah. terrifying moments <clears throat> is when Diane Weist is essentially being told, like, "Oh, you're not in control of your house anymore." Like the judge has, has signed it over to me, and she's like, "What are you? You got to watch it. It's it's it's, right. it's so amazing, and you truly have no idea where it's going." Uh, the entire time. So number nine is I Care A Lot. Uh, Jay Blakeson is a guy who directed it, and it's just one of the best ensembles I've seen this year. So uh, we're up to pick number eight for Jake Hamilton, who is discussing it. No, I, no I'm no, i assuming both of you guys put it on your list, so I won't oh. need to discuss it. Oh, all right. Well, go ahead. What is it? It's Finch. <laughs> so I'm assuming, so I'll wait until we get to y'all's There's number no one There's no way that you honestly think Finch is one of the 10 best movies that came I out I have watched Finch multiple times, and which also means that I have cried <laughs> On purpose? like an ugly gag. I got to tell you, no movie had more of a genuine emotional impact on me than Finch. I thought it was incredibly well done. I thought huh. Tom Hanks gave, gave an incredible performance. Um, it, it's... Just a fast. I mean, but look. I mean, you. If you listen to this show, sure. you. This is a a. If you took a, a piece of clay and molded a movie for <laughs> me, yeah, it's a sad Tom Hanks film that's a love letter to dogs. Like it's basically yes. it. Like you might as well call the film like for Jake. Like it's it it, it is a movie that could not be more made for me. But I also thought it was incredibly well done and beautiful and emotional. And I thought in the ending hit me in the heart with a. Freaking sledgehammer! So I loved it. Jake, right. I have a question for you. Did yeah. you, you did you ever watch my interview with Jim Carrey for Sonic, where I asked him his favorite Tom Hanks movie of all time? I was just curious if you saw that answer. 
Oh, I know her. we don't have a lot of time, so I can't sit here and think about it. <laughs> how, how the how the Finch stole Christmas? Oh, that was good. That was good. That's pretty was good. good. Thank you. That was really good. Thank All you. right, Kev, Kev, you're on number eight, and I assume it's not Finch, but you are discussing it. <laughs> well, my number eight is your number ten. Chappie? Oh, is it really? Chap- yeah, my number eight is your number ten. <laughs> Let's go, Snyder Cut, baby! I'm all in, man. Um, well, you know what? You take the floor on this. Since it was your number 10, you didn't have a chance to talk oh, about it Oh, God. I mean, okay, so part of the reason why it was my number 10 is because there were a lot of films that were vying for that slot. Um, Nightmare Alley could have been in there. No Sudden Move was a terrific move, a terrific movie that should have gotten more recognition. But um, The Snyder Cut is a movie that shouldn't exist. Like, it should not. It, the story behind it is probably more fascinating than the movie itself. But the fact that the movie itself is four hours and feels like a 90 minute sit is unbelievable to me. Um, I, I put it on there for the historical aspect of it, that the fact that, you know, there was this director who had his movie taken away from him and his fans fought so hard to to get his vision restored. I think it's a, it's it's I honestly think that it's the best DCEU movie that exists like that doesn't include the, the Nolan trilogy, which is probably superior to it. But I think it's the best of the three Zack Snyder films. And I think it's far better than anything else that, that anyone else has tried to do in that universe. Um, I am really annoyed that he can't continue. I wish that we lived in a in a reality where, you know, the multiverse meant that he can keep doing his own thing while they kept doing patents in one. And, and we just kept going. But I understand that it's a business and also that Zack probably, you know, burned a few bridges and made a few enemies at the upper echelons at Warner brothers. And you know, who's to say, but, um, but it's a terrific, terrific movie. Uh, and I think it's far better than it had any right to be. And sitting down to watch that movie, when we all got screeners, think about the excitement that was like, that was a charged experience, you know, like I sat down with, um, Michelle on the couch to watch it. And I was like, I can't, I can't believe that we're about to watch the Snyder cut, like something that had been, been bandied about for three years. So I had to get it on my list. I'm glad you have it higher, Kev. How did it work for you? Well, Sean, if you remember, I think this was early in the pandemic when it was announced that he was going to release it. We, you and I were like on that live stream with Snyder yeah, yeah. and like, and then Henry Cavill showed up after telling yeah. Jake and I that he didn't know what a Snyder cut was a year or two prior to that. Yeah. Um, and he announced that they were going to release it. And you're right. I mean, like the the event aspect of it. And I also want to say, like, we did have Zack Snyder on the show for this movie for 30 minutes. Um, if you missed that episode, definitely please go back and listen to it. Uh, he gives some great insight about shooting scenes in his driveway um, yeah. for this movie. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, in all honesty, I, I've always been a Snyder fan. So Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman, the R-rated cut and obviously Dawn of the Dead. I mean, Watchmen, I'm just... I was so happy that a director's vision was able to be completed and it was wonderful on, on every aspect of action and performance. And I mean, I, you guys know that Cavill and, um, and Affleck are my favorite Batman and Superman of all time. I mean, I just mm-hmm. love those two performances from those, from those guys. And I think, uh, to me, like the score and I know Jake, you know, we joke about the box format, but I, the, the four by three and the black and white was beautiful. Um, the Putting four in by three chapters to me, too was really smart. Chapters sm- was very smart. So smart. And, and yeah. speaking of chapters, I, I re- recently rewatched Hateful Eight. Uh, uh, on the Netflix version, which mm. is chaptered, and it's really actually interesting. Um, but chapters are a fascinating thing. They do they do kind of like um, help with pacing in a, in a strange mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, the Snyder Cut is just it's everything I wanted it to be. It's rated R. 
it's it's just incredibly well done emotional and you're right it's the event aspect of it the fact that we could press play on the snyder cut that it actually exists that it's there i mean it's one of the most incredible stories of all time you know you know if you haven't read sean's book about it release the snyder cut um you get the whole story about how the i mean if you don't know this by now how the fans drove it to come out which is just incredible um but yeah that's my number eight no question i love that i love it um, okay, so my number eight is one that I'm actually kind of stunned didn't make other people's lists. But um, it's also the movie that I know when I come back to this list two years from now, I might look at it and be like, eh, I probably should have moved something else in there. But I'm like going over just my gut reaction. <laughs> uh, it's The Green Knight. Plug. That's a good plug for the premium uh, episode that dropped this week. <laughs> I haven't yeah. gone back to revisit the Green Knight because it's dense, right? Like it's it's a lot going on, and it's like a ton a, of metaphor. Like a forest. Yeah, <laughs> and I know that I need to like. It's not just put it on the background and pay attention. You know, no, it, no. I mean to like loosely pay attention to it. Like David Lowry made a, a extremely compelling film that I just know that when I watched it, I was totally engrossed from start to finish. Um, I gave it five stars early on. But when I was looking for its placement on this list, I kept moving it down and moving it down. Um, and I need to revisit it. I know that it has some oddness to it, uh, but I was I was hooked on that oddness at the time. I just wonder how it's going to hold up on a rewatch. I wanted it represented. I didn't know 100% where I was going to put it. Um, but so I, I put it at eight. And what's interesting is that like I've had a couple of opportunities over this past two weeks to like tell people that I have my top 10 and they're like, Oh, well, what, what is it? And I'll sort of rank through it. And every time I got to eight, I forgot what I put there. <laughs> every time yeah. I was like one through seven, bang, bang, bang. I was like, what is eight? Damn it. I can't remember what eight is. Well, it's the green Knight, Uh, and I know I loved it at the time. I, I don't, I wonder if it's going to hold up for me. Um, but we'll see. This is the list. This is the list for now. The lists do always change. Mm-hmm. That's quite why I kind of love the, this or that, that we played yeah. most recently on the premium. Because I know we're going to... Well, yeah, exactly. The Irishman would be one that I was like, eh, maybe it wouldn't have been. But, um, but it landed at number eight for me. And so uh, that's where we are. That's and we had we David Lowry on the show for it. And if you're like, if you're a big... I mean, it's that's what's crazy about doing this show is like, like I, you forget all the people we had on our show last year. I know. Um, but if you're a, fa- a film um, geek or a film nerd and you love cameras and lenses, uh, definitely listen to that episode because he it's, it's kind of like a masterclass in filmmaking, to be honest. Okay, now we're going to get to a couple of saves um, because we're going to have a couple of repeats. So, Jake, name your seven, but hold on to it. My seven. Oh, I'm surprised that you guys included it. Uh, my seven is Spider-Man No Way Home. Oh, there you go. Seven. Uh, Kevin, what is your seven? You are also saving it. It's going to show up later. My seven is Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, which I should have put higher now that I'm thinking about it. But we'll Kevin, dive into that. I really hope it's not on the real blend top five. Kevin, it is my seven as well, too. So let's no! dive into Barb and Star. Oh, <laughs> yes. It's not uh, making the real blend top five. So I, okay. I'm going to throw this out there. A good friend of the uh, a friend of the show and good friend to all of us, Josh Horowitz, who runs a podcast over at MTV. He posted something on social media where he said, I'm still convinced this is the best scene in any movie last year. And it was um, at Edgar's Prayer. <laughs> yeah. And I can't not just bust out laughing yeah. watching Jamie Dornan commit to that song. It's incredible. Um, I, I honestly put this movie on par with the first Austin Powers. I think people forget how brilliant and original that movie mm-hmm. was before the gimmick just got driven into the ground. Um, but it's it's a complete going out on a limb with a <laughs> bizarre premise, you know, and super weird characters that 
for Jake's point of view, if it doesn't work for you, I completely understand it. But well, I was I, love com- Austin Powers. I was so in tune with what they were trying to do. And I love the fact that from the opening scene with the kid on the bike, you know, that you're instantly like, oh, wait, <laughs> what is this movie? What is this going to be? And it kept me laughing the entire time through. I, I didn't laugh harder at anything else this year. Uh, I, I loved it. Kevin, I know you did too. So I mean, it, it's hilarious and it should be higher on my list. I'm, I made a big mistake, uh, but it, it is, <laughs> it's, it's an incredible film. I, I genuinely believe Kristen Wiig deserves an Academy Award nomination. It'll never happen for the same reason why they don't nominate comedians for amazing performances like Eddie Murphy or Jim Carrey or Robin Williams. Um, But in this case, Wig's performance is so incredibly hard. Um, She plays two characters. Um, It's they're completely different. Uh, I have talked to people who have watched the film and didn't know Kristen Wiig was playing the other character. No kidding. Really? That's That's how that's how great she is in the film. Um, And Kristen and Annie, they wrote the film together. They wrote Bridesmaids. Uh, But Dornan really kind of like and it it was funny because like this was like this was the role I feel like he was born to play. I mean, I feel like he's hilarious. Like he's he's also that funny in real life. And I think. I just genuinely love this film. It's uh, from every particular stand. I mean, there is Richard Cheese, uh, the, 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 the gentleman who's playing who's playing uh, the piano at the bar. Um, yeah. And when he when he says, uh, what does he say? He goes, uh, "I'm gonna take a break," and then he's like, "Oh, I'm I'm, I'm back." Like a, I'm like a back. second later, it's dude, so. Dude, I put brilliant. it on the other day to say, like, is this really gonna make my top ten? And when I got to the Morgan Freeman crab, I was like. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's making my top ten. That movie is brilliant. And I don't care. Like the, it, it, that movie should be looked at yep. and processed like any other Oscar film, in my personal opinion, just because it's a comedy and it's wacky. It is so airtight, hilarious. And you know what? It, emotionally, I cared for the I cared for their arcs. I cared for that relationship. It, it works so well. I feel like it should have been last year's Palm Springs, right? Like a movie that yeah. was much smarter, Love had a really great premise and, and was ended up on everybody's radar. But for some reason, a lot of people are overlooking Barb and star. So, well now that's the point of this list. You need to see it. Did we have the directors oh. on the show? We did. We had the director <laughs> come on the show. Yes. Yeah. We talked about that year. really cool shot where, uh, they're on the, so on the bar did, top. Yeah, that oh, shot right, is incredible. Right, right. With Jamie <laughs> Dornan really and good. Kristen and Annie. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're up to pick number six for Jake Hamilton, and it's one that you are saving because it's going to show up again later. Uh, I am also picking a Jamie Dornan film, but I'm picking an actual good Jamie Dornan film. My number six is Belfast. <laughs> He's had a very good year. He's, He's absolutely had a good yeah. year. Uh, Kevin, you are picking at number six, and you are saving it also. Uh, my number six is Spider-Man No Way Home, and uh, we'll dive into that uh Later on. Yes, we will. And my pick number six, six, uh, I'm saving as well, too, because it's going to show up higher. Denis Villeneuve's Dune. So at six? Uh, at six. Yes. Who the hell are you? This is a good time. Sorry. Actually, this is a good time. It's a good thing we brought this up. I meant yeah. to mention this before we started recording, but Sean, you're fired. Yeah. Number oh, six. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Have a good <laughs> six. I mean, I, I, I mentioned that you should listen to our Denis Villeneuve uh, real blend, but apparently oh. uh, he shouldn't have even come on the show because apparently we don't, oh, even, don't like even like the movie. Don't even say that. Although, as a joke. when I mentioned the Brilliant the five idea. five four three two and one for me are are, are pretty flawless movies, so I'm uh, looking forward to doing that. Should we just do a real quick uh, ten through six? Uh, 
Jake, just read them out. Read yours well, out. Well, no, I'll put them in the description if people want to catch oh, up. Uh, don't go there because you'll have spoilers for the rest of the list if you're if you're using this to have fun. That's have fair. Reveal. That's fair. Um, but I'll have all the lists in the description of wherever you are listening to this, YouTube or otherwise. Uh, fair so enough. There. Fair enough. All right. Top fives. Here we go. Top the top five movies of 2021. Jake Hamilton is picking at five and discussing it. Oh, really? Because no one else has his wow. fifth movie. Wow. Okay. My number five was Pig. Okay. Um, nice. What? What? A, just a beautiful, beautiful study of loss and grief. Mm. I remember when I read the description, which was uh, Nicholas Cage uh, lives with a truffle pig in the middle of the woods, and someone stole, steals his truffle pig, and he goes on a mission to find. I was like, okay, so like this is he's doing John Wick, like this is his. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, halfway yeah. through the movie, yeah. I went, oh my god, no! This is like a really intimate, heartbreaking like study of loss and grief whereas John Wick takes the direction of like action and and mm. murder and mayhem this goes into the like more emotional depths of of that that concept um and it's just a i mean any movie that serves as a reminder that Nicolas Cage is one of the best actors of a generation mm -hmm. uh i think is is astonishing um and i would love 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 if somehow he snuck into the best actor oscar category this year um i think he has a shot i, 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 I think he's I think it's going to be between him and Dinklage for that number five slot. Okay. I could see him getting it, honestly. Yeah. I think I think more actors are looking at what he did in Pig yeah. and appreciating it a little bit more. Yeah, almost well, like he should have like won back. for Face Off. He should have won for Face Off. Yes, he should have. Well, should he have won or should have Travolta? You never know who is who. Oh. That's true. Terrific point. He, did, he won for Leaving Las Vegas, right? Mm -hmm. He did. And yes. he's been nominated. Uh, he got nominated for Adaptation. Right. Oh. And he should have been nominated for Matchstick Men. Yes, he should have. Well, next year. Well, I'm sorry. This year, when he yeah. plays Nicolas Cage in in a Nicolas Cage movie, yeah, that's when he'll. That looks it. so. That that movie might break wait. this. Oh. That might break this podcast. <laughs> <It's gonna break laughs> the end. I'm telling you, if he be, if there's a Castro Troy moment where he goes oh. into full Castro Troy, you know I'm what? Done. You know like, what yeah, secretly not, makes that movie? I haven't die. seen it yet, but from the trailer, what makes that movie for me? What takes it to a new level? It's it's a fun concept. Sure. And Nick Cage, modern Nick Cage, I would say. Could be hit or miss. Always mm -hmm. weird in a great way. Sure. Not, uh, no negative there. But he could be hit or miss of like, is this really going to hit with yeah. me or is this going to be awesome? Still, he still cares, awesome. unlike Bruce Willis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's God. always interesting. But like, yeah. it's it's hit or miss as far as like, yeah. if it's going to blow me away. What what gets me very hyped for this is that uh, it is, uh, uh, oh shoot, what's his name? The Mandalorian. Oh, oh Pedro Pascal. Yeah. It's Pedro, Pedro Pascal. Pascal who's playing opposite of him. Yeah. Pedro Pascal yes. is brilliant, and yeah. I think Pedro yeah. Pascal is hilarious. Yeah. Yep. And the fact that it's him who's going to be opposite of him, like, yeah. brings this to a different level of, of how great it could be. Absolutely. All anyway. right, Kevin, top five. You're giving us your number five, and you are saving it because it'll show okay. up later. Number five is Belfast. Okay. Oh, so uh, where does Sean have Belfast? And number five for me, I'm saving because it'll show up later. Five for me is Coda. That brings us to number four for Jake, which he is discussing because no one else has it on their list. <laughs> this is kind of fun. I like this. This is a good format. Wow. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, I obviously Barb and Star. loved fucking you. No. Um, I loved The Last Duel. Um, oh, I, nice. I thought the last, and I actually rewatched it recently with my folks and was able to sort of appreciate the artistry behind it, the production value behind it, the um, the moments of energy, but also uh, quiet tension behind it. Um, a lot of the the the, the same uh, moment filmed three different times. The way Ridley Scott, I mean, the, the, what Ridley Scott did here is just astonishing. 
Um, I feel like everyone gave truly um, uh, incredible performances. The fact that Jody is not somehow in the best actress conversation is yeah. astonishing to me. Um, and I just re- and that, that the final duel itself is kind of what Ridley Scott does best. It's it's brutal, but it's so precisely directed. Um, it, it's just it's. I just thought it was just a, an incredible, incredible cinematic accomplishment that works. Just I saw it on the big screen the first time, and then at home on the small screen with my parents, uh, and works both ways. It's really cool what they did because like the th- it's told in three different perspectives, so they would set the shot up. And they would do one perspective and they would just use the shot setup to do the others. And it was just really cool how they were able to like do that because they're yeah. it's even a simple smile that a yeah. character gives, Jody Comer's Jody Jody Comer's character gives. Yeah. Um is portrayed yeah. three different ways yeah. in three different intensities. Yeah. Or a um, kiss. And, like how like yeah. how a kiss is perceived yeah. three different ways. Yeah. It's fascinating. So I might be uh, on an island here, but I I would take Gucci as a Ridley's twenty twenty one movie. Over last I'd go duel. I'd go I'd, duel. I think Gucci is probably more fun to watch, but but duel is a better movie. Did Sean just say he's on the island of Gucci? I might have said that I'm on the island of Gucci. I was wondering if Kevin knew uh the Vin Diesel plan to remake uh Ridley Scott's movie. No. Uh, he's he's calling it The Last and the Furious. Oh, The Last and the Furious. <laughs> I do like that. I like that a lot. That's did you guys really see really... that like did you guys see that meme that was like what are the two meals? <laughs> That Vin Diesel eats breakfast and Breck Furious. <laughs> <laughs> That's the better joke. There That's you go. That's awesome. That's there. People on um, the internet are hilarious. All right. That was pick four for Jake. That was the last duel. Uh, Kevin, you are naming pick number four and you are saving it because it is going to show up even higher for, for, for people yes. here. It's the movie based on the saliva song, Click, Click, Boom. Is called Tick Tick Boom. I cannot. Jake Hamilton is going to have to explain to us later how this movie yeah. did not make his top ten because yeah. he's it's insane. Dead Spoiler inside. alert: You are dead inside, sir. I liked it. I liked it. <laughs> oh god, it's incredible. I like, okay. it's, a, it's a it's a it's a three and a half out of five for me. You're so you'd three call and it a half out of five. You would have named it Tick Tick. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, Gabe, now you're fired. It's only these two left. You've been fired. You can't fire people once you're already fired. It's only these two left now at this point. All right, uh, my number four is being discussed because it's not showing up on anybody else's list. This is a weird one because it um, was in consideration for the Oscars last year, the Weirdo Oscars, and actually won uh, two well-deserved Oscars. It's The Father, uh, putting this at number four because it is... Just, just an incredible, incredible movie. Um, with I, I would say, and this is saying a hell of a lot. Uh, one of Anthony Hopkins' yeah. greatest performances, yeah. and, I agree. and I would argue Oscar worthy. Absolutely. Well, you know, that's the whole thing. Is that like it backfired on them because they saved it to the end? Uh, that category for people who forget, they thought it was going to go to Chadwick Boseman. He still um, Chadwick deserved it, by the way. I'm sorry, I, I'm not it, sorry. He deserved that award. It was a phenomenal performance. That's fine. Um, but Anthony Hopkins ends up winning it and didn't even show. So it you talk about tick tick, pff, like that's what. That's okay, the but the story behind it wasn't that he didn't show. It right. was we we were we were knee deep in COVID at the time. He okay, was sure. in uh, north of England, and I right. believe he asked. I think. I think they were doing some sort of a ceremony in London at the time. And because remember at the time, the Oscars were very much a, like no one zooming in, no zooming in, no zoom. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, keep in mind, the man's in his 80s. And I believe the story was he asked them 
look, I, I'll stay up late, but I really, like, I don't want to be in a crowd full of people. Yeah. Can I do this from home? And they told him no. That's crazy. That's they so told stupid. him no. Like, I, so, be... what, it, so it wasn't, I, I got a little angry at, like, with, like in, the, in the days after the Oscars. Everyone's like, oh, Anthony Hopkins didn't even show. I was like, no, the, the man's in his 80s, wanted to avoid COVID and asked for yeah. an ulterior motive to, you know. Um, but his, in his speech, he, he paid tribute to, to Chadwick Boseman. It was a really nice moment. Oh, it was beautiful. Yes. Yeah. He get, he released it the next day, didn't he? Yes. Uh, like yeah. a video that he recorded himself. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm ashamed to say that I did not see this movie before Anthony Hopkins uh, won the Oscar. I didn't get a chance to catch up to it beforehand. Time crunch, COVID, ja, 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 ja. And I was kind of like, how good can this actually... And, I, and it just floored me. It's one of yeah. the... Like, he's, he's suffering from dementia, uh, which is tragic enough. And... But but the way that it's scripted and the way that he performs it, you're never 100% sure what's real and what isn't real kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and he is just riveting. I mean, it's one of the greatest performances that I've seen from him. It's definitely one of the best performances. Yeah, which is I've saying a year. lot, like you said. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the father made it all the way up to number Better four. Better than Red 2? Slightly. Honestly. Uh, <laughs> Slightly. Sean, have you interviewed him before? Yes, I have. Uh, twice. I know I got him for that movie fracture with ryan gosling yeah. oh that's a good movie yeah and i Great got him one other time too he's a fascinating uh, interview he is really yeah. good yeah. yes yeah. really, really he good. always he always jokes that i have the same name as the guy from invasion of the body snatchers that's what he always oh, really? around <laughs> with me. he's like yeah do you know who kevin mccarthy is i'm like yeah i know who that guy is yeah you told me last time yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> no but he also uh, like he he's and his he's interesting i met him at a press conference once and he's like don't call me Oh, uh, Anthony! Like I, called, yeah. I, I called him like Sir. I, I called him Mr. Hopkins, and he's like, "No, yeah. call me Tony." I'm like, "No, I'm Tony. Not doing that. nope, so Tony." It's not, it's not <laughs> happening. Uh, Jake, you're at number three, and you are discussing it. R really? Well, mm. we're at the top of the list, so people who have oh, okay. who have okay. skipped oh, gotcha. are now gotcha. starting to catch up. They're now right. starting to catch up. Okay, um, my <laughs> Jake's like, really? Yeah, really? No one else um, picked my, this. My number three is Coda. Oh, um, yes. which I, uh, I I loved whenever it came out in August. Just a really quiet, intimate, beautiful story uh, of a family. If you don't know, CODA is an acronym for uh, Child of Deaf Adult. It tells the story of a young woman who is not deaf, but the rest of her family is. She has dreams and aspirations to be a singer in school, in college, uh, but her family needs her. They uh, work a shrimping boat, and uh, a law is passed that requires them to have someone who can hear on the boat with them. So her family is saying, look, we need you to stick around. It's this really beautiful and also hilarious story um, of, of like the family dynamic. There are a lot of aspects that make this story great that have nothing to do with the fact that, that they are deaf, um, but that they are just a family like every other family out there. Um, it's, it's really, it's, I thought it was beautifully written. The performances are absolutely incredible. I really would love to see it get a SAG ensemble nomination mm -hmm. um, because everyone involved is, is, is truly incredible. And uh, this, this is one that, that really hit me in the, in the, uh, in the, in the old tear ducts. Uh, in the in the final act of the film, dude, absolutely. I have it at number five for me, and it's one of those ones where it's oh you know it was a Sundance hit, and a lot of times with those Sundance hits, I'll end up catching up with them later, and I'm sure. kind of like this is fine, mm -hmm. you know. And so I went into it with those kind of expectations, and by the halfway point, I was like, oh, this is really special. Yeah, uh, that girl Amelia Jones is is terrific. Yes. I don't know what she's been in beforehand, but she is great in this film. Um, I like the fact that it is sort of a, a inspirational teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. Movie as well too because of the the yes. music instructor who's coaching her through with her singing, Mr. V. 
Is that his name? Yeah. Yeah, that's the character's name. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So just a terrific. I mean, cannot recommend this highly yeah. enough. Available and, uh, on Apple TV Plus if you haven't seen it yet. Yeah, with Finch if you want to. Yeah. Yes, watch Finch. Head over to that. I do want to chime in on one thing on Kodak. I love the film too. As I went, I have it like thirteen on my list, but um, I do love this film. But do you guys remember my, my favorite lines of the year? Um, is do you remember the scene when she's sitting down with her father and 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 he talks about? Do you remember the joke he says about farts? Uh uh-uh, It's no. hilarious. He says, "What is it? Uh, I think uh, he sits down at the dinner table and he rips this huge fart, <laughs> and and his character is deaf, and so she, you know obviously the daughter hears it because she can hear." And uh, she's like, she like makes a face or whatever. And I think he signs and he says something like, do you know why God uh, made farts smell bad or whatever it was? And he goes, so deaf people could enjoy them too. (laughs) What a brilliant, I don't know why that just made me laugh. I mean, you guys know I have an immature sense of humor. Yeah, we know why it made you laugh, Kevin. (laughs) It was funny though. It was really, I mean, it made me laugh. It was a really funny line. All right, Kev, you're on your number three, which we are all discussing. We are all discussing this one? Uh, apparently well yeah. you're free to discuss yes oh you oh, are but, free to discuss but you guys don't have it on your list we'll find I guess out not go ahead and reveal not. oh well it's free it's free guy oh yeah you have you're alone with that yeah, one. It's all there you you. Go. i'm okay with that That's uh, okay. i love this film uh probably my favorite line of dialogue all year um uh ryan reynolds's character at the end has this line where he says uh you know, I'm just, uh, you know, somewhere out there. What is the line? Uh, I'm just a love letter to you. And somewhere out there is the author. Mm-hmm. Um, just a, this movie hit me at the right time when I really needed it. Uh, Sean Levy, who was on our show to discuss it, it was a great guest. Um, this was this was to me, this was just like, you know, I know there's a Groundhog Day aspect to it and, you know, the Wreck-It Ralph aspect to it. But Reynolds's character and that arc he has, you know, as he starts to realize that he's an NPC in a video game. Um, and Comer's performance is incredible because um, her character lives in the real world, but she also plays in the game and meets Ryan Reynolds' character. Uh, I thought that, you know, the gen- who's the gentleman from uh, Stranger Things? Joe uh, Keery. Um, yeah, that sounds who, right. Uh, I loved him in this movie. A great performance from him as well. Um, it's just like, it has some of the best visual effects I've seen in any film this year as well. Like just the idea of the, when he puts on the glasses. But emotionally, comedically, also want to shout out Lil Rel Howery, who mm-hmm. I think is one of the my favorite actors working today. He was obviously great in Get Out. I think he had a part in Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, uh, and then obviously he was in Free Guy. I mean, he's just, he is incredible. Um, and he gives this really deep, touching performance that is so grounded uh, and such a big part of the story. Um, Free Guy is one of those movies that I feel like it almost people would like look at my list and go, why is free guy on there? Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, you know, it's a film that I think is really well executed, well performed, brilliantly written um, and just emotionally satisfying. Um, it it, I love it that plays though. with. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it, that's it, what it, our it, top it, tens are for because they're top yeah. ten favorites. They're not. That, that's yeah. what I've been trying to tell people is that they're not the top ten. They're not what I'm right. saying. Or the, I, I've had literally multiple people come to me going like, oh, like you didn't put power of the dog. And I go, well, like power of the dog is like a very well made film and it's a beautifully yeah. like it's but like it's not one of my top 10 favorite movies of the mm-hmm. year like yeah. i'm probably not yeah. ever gonna rewatch it and that's important to note also on these things taika watiti uh he's great in the movie i mean it's like i just love free guy um and to me it would just put a massive smile on my face it's a film that i know i can go to that'll warm my heart 
Um, and I just you were very Ryan much Reynolds a Ryan Reynolds is... guy, also. Oh, yeah. Well, with Deadpool the... and yeah, uh, just what's friends. The one with? Yeah, with the fat suit. Yeah, yeah. Dude, <laughs> yeah. the proposal is amazing. Have you watched the proposal recently? No, the not in a while. Amazing. I know it is really smart. Yeah, dude, Betty White's performance in that movie. Rest in peace, Betty White. Obviously, and mm-hmm. um, but that she's so great in that. Sandra Bullock is so great in that as well. Uh, proposal's a really underrated comedy. I mean, Re- Reynolds's career is fascinating to me. I mean, you you had a guy who was on the top of his game with Van Wilder and just friends, crashed with Green Lantern, mm. and then made this epic comeback with Deadpool. That is just, and now he's like. Yeah, it's what it's an amazing, amazing story. I mean, it he is. could have easily crashed on Green Lantern and said, you know what? Because I, I don't know psychologically how you deal with something like that when a movie's that bad and it's that big of a deal and people know it's that bad. And to get back up and like really kind of push and become even bigger and better than he ever was. I want to see him make inspiring. some more choices. Like I miss the buried Ryan Reynolds. Buried yeah. was awesome. Or that's now was I feel it, like yeah. what was that spy movie he did with um who do you do that with? Do you do that with Red Notice with uh, The Rock? No, 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 no. The the well, what was it? It wasn't. I would just like, like to a... see him stop playing himself. Yeah, he plays himself. Way possible. He plays himself a <sighs> lot. Uh, doesn't necessarily. Need... He can be funny in the movie, but he doesn't need to be. That's what I liked about Red Notice. He was funny in the movie, but it wasn't complete Ryan Reynolds jokes all the time. Mm-hmm. Like he had a few of them. It had a sense of humor, but that character felt more well-rounded. And... See, but I think Free Guys like. One of his emo- best emotional performances. Sure, like, yeah, I love totally. Buried. Totally, yeah, totally. he's great mm-hmm. in that movie. But again, mm-hmm. I know I, a lot of people say that he's always Ryan Reynolds, and I, I could see that. But I, I, I don't know. I find him really entertaining and fun to watch. And he's also yeah. one of the few people on the planet that people still go out to see in theaters. Well, you know, what I think it's fascinating about him as well too is that I don't think personally that that's the way he is. Like he's not no. playing Ryan Reynolds. Sure, no. But he has he, a yeah. he has a screen persona that yes. he plays so, a lot. Yeah. But I think to him, he's saying, "I'm not playing myself at all" because yeah. he's no. very reserved and is. He's a very quiet guy. Like when we yeah. talk in interviews, he's not like he's not that person, right? Um, which is interesting. You're right. Like Van, Van Wilder was probably the start of that persona, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Gabriel, you have a uh, point. Real quick, I wanted to note because we missed a couple guests. Um, as Kevin mentioned, we had Sean mm. Levy on for Free Guy. Um, mm-hmm. For Belfast, we also had uh, huh. Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. And although Sir Ridley Scott didn't join us for The Last Duel, we had him on for The House of Gucci, and he did discuss a little bit of yeah. The Last Duel. Yeah. Um, so don't miss those if you did. Good I, asked him, I, I asked him about Wild. Last Duel, and he absolutely did not answer it. He, got, <laughs> he answered every one of Jake's questions. It was incredible. He got around to it. He got he eventually got back to it. Hey, you know what? At the end of the day, he didn't scream fuck you at me, so I'm calling it a win. I that can't, was I can't pick our favorite interview of this year, of the, of the previous year. But that one's got to be up there. Yeah, it's got to be up there. But we had Diddy it's a unique interview and Snyder sure. and all, so many great names. But dude, God. Soderbergh was on our show. It's a ter- yeah, yeah. yeah he oh, was that's terrific. right. Oh my God. Oh, oh do you know way, who wasn't? You, guys... you know who wasn't? Uh, Spielberg. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys see the story about uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal talking about her fam- favorite movie of the year because she was doing press for Lost Daughter and she's and someone asked her her favorite movie of 2021. No, I don't know what it is. Dakota Johnson. <laughs> All right, my number three is uh, Coda. Sir, Kenneth, Sir Kenneth Branagh's Belfast. Um, made it all the way up to number three for me. Just uh, pure joy from start to finish. Um, it's semi-autobiographical black and white film by Sir Kenneth Branagh uh, of, a, of a young, well, a family in general, but but also through the eyes of the, the youngest son in the family uh, who is using things like 
um, movies and comic books, a Thor comic book, well-placed, uh, and just the stories that are told by his extremely charming grandparents, especially Kieran Hines, maybe not Judy Dench so much, um, and his fantastic father, again, played by Jamie Dornan, who we've been uh, praising, who is trying to find work for the family and and just the political strife that's that's uh, infiltrating their lives in Belfast. Uh, you, I knew from the very beginning that it was going to be extremely special because it has this terrific shot of uh, this young boy, uh, Jude, what's his last Jude? Jude um, Hill. Jude Hill, that's right. I was going to say Jude Hall, uh, who's pretending to be like a knight. He's running around with a sword and a shield, um, and you're immersed in this kid's imagination, and then explosions rip apart the street, and there's a, a, a violent protest, and the, the mother has to go out and grab him, and, and that's exactly what Belfast is. It's th- this dichotomy between you know this family trying to live their normal life and all the good things that come with it, uh, but then all the political strife that's surrounding them constantly. And I thought I thought Brana did an incredible, incredible job of balancing it. It is it is 90 minutes. So that's as long as it needed to be. Uh, it knew exactly what it wanted to do and it did it beautifully. Uh, and, and for me personally, there's the um, Irish aspect of it in that I had a lot of old, old Irish relatives uh, who I've been around growing up who are very much like the characters uh, in that movie. And uh, just in terms of them being storytellers and and uh, immersed in in music uh, and I, when when sir kenneth brano was on the show we talked about the lyrical nature of the screenplay uh, and the dialogue and i thought it was a terrific way for him to sort of describe him putting it so i had belfast at three where did you guys where'd you guys my it? number six six yeah it's five for me and uh, and we did ask brana about dunkirk which i did rewatch the other day for the i guess the 25th time <laughs> yes <laughs> actually you know jake brings up memes one of my favorite memes of all time is when brana they show footage of him like uh from dunkirk and then and then, then they, don't they cut to the mamma mia ship oh yes yeah, like yeah the yeah. boat yeah. <laughs> so great yes uh jake you're at number two and you're uh, my, saving it number two i'm saving it I'm assuming then for Kevin to speak about to speak on next is West Side Story. Wait, is it not on Sean's list? Did not make my list. Oh, you're you're fired again. <laughs> Twice. I, I thought so, it was so can Kevin and I then talk about our Spielberg interviews? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, let's of do, course let's you can. That. Yes, please do. At length. Please. Uh, no, I, I absolutely absolutely I mean West Side Story and honestly if it weren't for my number 1, obviously it would be West Side Story would be my number one. Um, That's how it works. It's just, yeah, it is. I, I, I was just, as soon as I, as soon as I started that sentence, I was like, "This is the most nonsensical thing I've ever said." Uh, yeah, but I knew what you mean. I know yeah. what you meant. I mean, yeah. just everything about this movie is just top tier. I mean, Spielberg yeah. has said that he's been wanting to make a West Side Story since the '80s, and it's one thing to hear that, and then to me, when I saw the final product, I went, "Oh, that means you've been thinking about this since the." I mean, like every shot is gorgeous every every uh, uh choice in terms of craft is the best possible choice that could have been made um everyone is is, is does some of their best work whether it's uh, cinematography whether it's uh, production design whether it's costumes whether it's the choreography whether it's just the the, the performances by ariana debose or rachel zegler uh and then spielberg like does some of the like probably his best work behind the camera for me i would say since minority report um i just thought it was a phenomenal film uh that in my eyes is better than the original and i would say that like it's one of 
I don't know if I'm willing to say top 10 because that's a bold statement for a man like Spielberg, but top 15 Spielberg movies of all huh. time. Yeah, I think it's top 10 Spielberg. I mean, I, I'm not willing I, to say it because I feel like I'm going I'm to sit here and go like through 10 movies and I'm not sure. I feel I, like one day we I, should uh, do that. We should do that. I, you can do a Aronofsky. Story... Kevin and I will do for Spielberg. That's <laughs> true. Um, for people who don't know that joke, uh, that we did a show once where uh, Sean said the best director of all time is Darren Aronofsky, randomly out of nowhere. That it, it made no. I was like, well, I, I still don't even understand it. Yeah, I don't yeah. really get it. Um, West Side Story is it's it's a stunning achievement. Wait, and, and you're, and it's your number two, right? It's my number two, and I, I I'm telling you right now, like, and I, I've watched the film four times now. I watched it with my mom. Um, uh, when I was home for uh, Christmas as well, we went to see it. And I, every time I watch the film, and I said this to Spielberg in the interview, I somehow think it's going to change every time. And I'm like, I, I'm like, maybe this time they won't fight. Maybe this time this person will live and that person will live and we'll be fine. Um, and like for me to sit there knowing the ending already and to still think that because you're so in it, um, that that's the power of Spielberg, right? And like I remember um, interviewing him on the on the carpet for the post once, and I asked him like about the science behind that. Yeah, you and I were there, Jake. We're um, standing right next to like, each other. I was like, I was like, is there a science in your mind about how you tell a story that we know the ending to already, but you let, but yet yet we lose ourselves in it and we forget the real reality of the ending and we we become immersed to a point where we think it's going to change. Like when I watch West Side Story. Like my heart, I'm almost like, is it going to help? Can I help these people? I want to jump in the screen and help these characters. Um, I want to shout out Mike Face, too. I don't think it's getting enough attention, who plays Riff in the film. This kid literally carries the movie for the first, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes. I mean, he He's is terrific. unbelievable. I mean, Ariana DeBose, obviously. Um, David Alvarez, is it David Alvarez who plays mm -hmm. um, Bernardo? Um, and then, uh, obviously, Rachel Zegler. And our, every, everybody's incredible. But I re when I was watching it for the fourth time, there's a scene with Rachel Zegler and Ariana DeBose um, after something tragic happens and they're in the apartment and that whole song is done live. Um, and Rachel Zegler is literally crying through the through the song, like like trying to get the words out because I, that I was literally on the fourth viewing that scene wrecked me, like destroyed. Like the first three, I'm like this is incredible, but the fourth viewing that moment. I mean, it is astounding what they achieved. Um, and Kaminsky, I mean, don't even get me started. I mean, that shadow shot. I mean, I mean, I mean, you guys saw the interview where Spielberg explained why they did the shadows from overhead. Mm -hmm. And like what I loved about that moment was like at the end of the day, it's a cool looking shot. But to hear him narratively tell you why he did it, that's that's the key. That's why that film is not a remake of the 61 film. It is a it is a complete adaptation of Sondheim and Bernstein's. Yeah. Music and lyrics. In the, and, in the same way that Dune is not yeah. a remake of Lynch's film, it's just another yeah. adaptation of Herbert's novel. Yeah, exactly. I, I, don't, I don't like West Side Story being called a remake. I really don't, because I don't think yeah, it I is. Saw, I, I stopped saying remake after I saw it. It's not a remake. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, all right. My number two is a musical as well, too, but it's a good one. Uh, Tick, Tick, Boom. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, I got to yeah. say, I got to say, my only thing about West Side Story is that it is the textbook definition for me of while I was watching it, I admired all the pieces of it and never got... Never got swept up in the story. Oh, not, you, not you should watch it again, man. Give it mm. one more. It, it is. It's incredible, man. It really so, is. 
someday yeah. i will someday i will um yeah. but i went with tick tick boom which um is to me andrew garfield gave the performance of the year the, yep. the, the, and and i don't even i honestly don't even think it's close nope uh i've told this before on the show before but halfway through the opening song uh 3090 when he's belting it out and I realized that like, Oh, he's, he's singing this and he's, he's actually performing this. And I turned to Michelle and I was like, man, fuck this guy. I'm the sum. He's so talented. Dude. He learned was, to sing for the role. He didn't and, know how and, to sing and sing as Jonathan Larson. Like he is, if you watch those side by side comparisons, but in addition to that, like I think tick, tick, boom works so well because um, it probably in a way that Spielberg was uh, such a, a student of and, and passionate fan of West side story. Lin-Manuel Miranda, you know, lived and breathed Tick, Tick, Boom. Mm-hmm. Um, he credits Jonathan Larson with being a huge influence for why he even got into uh, Broadway in the first place. He played Jonathan Larson in a version of Tick, Tick, Boom off Broadway. So this is a director who's stepping into a project who knows how to elevate the material. And yeah. I think it did a, a tremendous job of it has this great um, visual style where it's going back and forth between Jonathan on a stage uh, with a few singers and then going into recreations of things that are going on and and it does it flawlessly i think it's i think it moves incredibly fast um i think that there are multiple huge emotional beats that play out perfectly for it i think it's a great great story about people in their 20s who are right on that cusp of and i think all of us have gone through this the three of us especially have gone through this in this industry of like can i actually make this work you know yeah. <laughs> or am i gonna have to go back to be the way that he phrases it in the movie is, um, am I a waiter who, uh, you know, sometimes writes songs or am I a songwriter who's just, you know, waiting for my big break to, to, to hit. And, and the way that it doesn't pull its punches because I didn't know how the story was going to go and he gets his big showcase and then it doesn't work, you know? And, and his agent is kind of just like, start writing the next one. And I was like, God, that's exactly what it is. You know, you don't get it on the first try uh no one get you know it's so rare that people get it on the first try and you just keep grinding away at it grinding away at it so um i i really connected with that message i think the music's fantastic i've listened to the soundtrack so many different times uh i think lin-manuel miranda is going to be a really exciting director to watch uh and of all the musicals that hit last year uh, i thought that was the one that resonated the best so let's get to our number ones okay where were you i'm sorry kev you had that's my number four tick tick boom's on number four um Here's what I'll say, and I'll keep it brief. In terms of the power of cinema, when when a movie ha- gives me the ability to discover something that I didn't know that is ne- that is now at a beautiful, impactful thing in my life, like you can't deny the power of that. Like I I knew who Jonathan Larson was, I knew r- what Rent was, obviously, mm. but I didn't know any of these songs, the songs that are in this film. And now they're some of my favorite songs that I've seen them all the time. And I've watched mm-hmm. this movie four or five times. Um, it is the best performance of the year. It's not even close. It's not even close. It's the best he performance of the year. He might not I win. He might not win. Well, I mean, it doesn't. The Oscars never picked the right thing anyways, generally speaking. Um, but in terms of like, you're right. The pacing is great. The music is great. The live singing. I mean, I mean it is just a powerhouse of a film. And also... I want to shout out uh, Alice. Um, I'm, I don't want to blank on her last name. She's she's the cinematographer who shot this and in the Heights. Okay. Um, Al, uh, her name is Alice. Um, in case they'll get, get the last name for us. Um, incredible DP. Uh, and uh, there's a shot in this movie where Andrew's in the pool uh, oh. and he's swimming. And it's this masterful shot where they, they put musical notes in the water. And it's this huge arc for the character. Incredible. Um, 
incredible absolutely stunning um and it's just a i mean in the heights was incredibly shot too i mean remember the scene where they were dancing on the side of the building yeah, yeah it was yeah. i mean it was unbelievable um uh but you know yeah you have the last name uh alice brooks is the alice brooks, brooks thank you okay great dp uh shout out to alice brooks but uh, last thing i'll say is this sean is like tick tick boom like it, it just held, holds a special place in my heart because garfield became him yeah. It, Garfield was gone. Like that, guy, that kid was not on camera. Yeah. That was Jonathan Larson. And if you like, Sean brought up the side by sides. Find the side by sides. That will tell you why that performance deserves the Oscar. It's exact. Jake, Precise. your number one film of 2021 is uh, Tick Tick Dune. <laughs> Kevin, number your one. number one film of 2021 is Dune. So you guys can uh, dive into Denise's masterpiece. Wait, wait. Uh, where is it on your list? Six. When it made it oh, six. That's right. Yeah. Oh. Because it's a it's a tremendous half of a movie. Oh. Uh Sean. look, it's it's the the world that, that Denis created is is Ugh. immersive to the point of you know, and this is gonna <laughs> sound scary. like uh, like an over exaggeration, but like to come to the point where I forgot I was in a movie theater and just kind of felt like I was watching a documentary on this this world. It was just it was absolutely incredible. Um, you know, everything that I said about West Side Story I feel like is applicable to Dune and that Denis clearly has been wanting to make this for a while, has been thinking about it for a while. The thing I think I love most about Dune though is that it's tangible. Everything that I, I feel like I could touch everything. I feel like I had a uh, an understanding of the scope and the size of everything. This wasn't um, people standing in front of a bunch of CGI screens and me having to use my own imagination. This was mm. almost like this was a fully realized, built, tangible, I understood how everything felt. I understand how big everything was. This was an incredible world that uh, I was thrown into and loved every single second of it. It's yeah, one of the best ensembles just, of the year, too. Yes. I mean, everyone's no perfectly cast. I'm sorry, Kevka. No, 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 no. Because you, you haven't spoken on it yet either. I mean, I'm going to save it for my number one. I'm going to wait for my number one to gush. Okay. Um, no, no question. The most incredible cinematic experience I had in the movies this year was seeing Dune and IMAX. Um, I got to see it on True 143. It... it it's breathtaking. And I sat next to my, you know, Lauren and her father who gets up to go to the bathroom. Every time we go see a movie, the guy didn't leave his seat. <laughs> um, it is, it, it just that on the post. It's a very yeah. dry movie. Yeah. Very dry yeah. Movie. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point actually. Um, but they were like that movie drags you into the story, into the world and does not let go. Yeah. Um, and Greg Frazier, who's, who's obviously we're going to see some brilliant work of his coming up in the Batman, um, just beautifully shot, these desert sequences. Um, there's the CGI. Like Chris Nolan said this actually that it was the it was the best uh, he'd ever seen of a blended practical and CGI environments. I mean, he's not wrong. I mean, they they shot so much of this on location, which is funny. Which Denis attributes to his work with uh, um, Deacons. He attributes right. his work with Deacons with right. how much he learned about light and how he was able to mix that Unreal. Such, a, such a crazy mix of names yeah. there that that sort of help make dune real and we had Denis on the show obviously for dune it was an incredibly insightful oh. interview and uh, for me personally on a selfish level to hear him geek out about 143 imax and then finally see it that way um i gotta tell you guys something off off show that really makes me angry but i'll we'll, i'll leave it there at that but in terms of this film uh i hope they re-release it in imax at some point uh, after the pandemic because this is a film that you need to see hopefully when we get dune part two they'll do a back-to-back -back. oh that'd be cool I'm, I'm, I'm assuming and then we can watch it as dune uh yeah. totally 
totally, but I wouldn't. I still don't mind they chapter it part one, part two because it is two separate shot films. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, no question. Also, Hans Zimmer's score is the best score of the year, and Zimmer was on our show. <laughs> Zimmer was also awesome. uh, was on our I mean, show. Zimmer yes, was. was on our show yeah. from oh the room. God. Where he showed Christopher Nolan oh. the Interstellar score for the first <laughs> Presumably time. Presumably where he's made everything that we love. Yeah. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, listen to Zimmer. Listen to Denis Villeneuve if you haven't heard those. But, yeah, I mean, Dune is... Dune is... To say it's a stunning and astounding achievement is so... It's almost like that's not enough. There's no, I don't think there's words to describe the level of immersion this movie gives you. It's just incredible. Incredible. All right. My number one to the surprise of nobody is Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, yeah. a movie it makes that, me so happy that you love that movie. A it's movie that, six. yeah, yeah, that. Um, oh, that's funny. Well, Our one and six are kind of interchangeable. Yes, they are. Look at that. That's kind of bizarre. Yeah. Um, much like Jake talks about Finch being a movie made directly for him, uh, Spider-Man: No Way Home is a movie made directly for me. Uh, it is going to replace Infinity War on the wall back here. Uh, in a point where, like, um, when I watch Endgame and I thought, like, how is this happening? Like, that's not possible. You can't do this. Uh, that's how I felt through all of No Way Home. Like it's it is the quintessential Spider-Man movie. It's it's everything that's great about Spider-Man uh, distilled into one film. And I still haven't really processed. Brendan and I are going back tonight uh, to go watch it one more time nice. because the first time through I was just dumbfounded, and the second time through a lot of the emotions started to connect. And now mm. I feel like this third time through I'm going to be able to really just appreciate everything that's that's happening in it. You almost relax and just kind of like because you're, you're not worried about what's going to happen. You can just kind of go all right and just get get a big bag of popcorn. Sean's going to go see and go. Oh yeah, my god, I don't yeah. like it anymore. Those are <laughs> not good. Those are those are the best viewing experiences ever. If you walk into a film on a movie you love and you can yep. just chill. That's what happened to me on Hollywood on my third yep. viewing. I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to grab some milk duds and a popcorn and take yep. the 70 millimeter experience. And it blew. It's not my favorite movie of his career. But to throw out a couple of things that work so well about it, um, it has, it's a great balance of a Tom Holland movie, which it should be, um, an MCU movie, uh, yeah. but also a terrific movie that pays uh, homage to the existing franchises. But it doesn't just do it in a lazy way. It's not fan service. It's not curtain calls for everybody. Uh, it works in the villains. Defoe gives an Oscar-worthy performance. I know that we're saying that a lot. Um, he does. Al- Alfred Molina is terrific as Dr. Octopus. Yeah. And of course, the, the the surprise of bringing the other two uh, Spider-Men back and bringing them back for a narrative reason yes. uh, is the reason why Not this a cameo. is the number one movie of the year for and me. So, Sean gives a really great emotional uh, review of the movie in our spoiler episode for spider-man no way home we, we, we dive into everything and you can get obviously sean sean that was sean's review episode because he wasn't able to join us for the or, or see it prior yeah. so i mean people i want people to listen to that because that's really like the true fan and you talked about the film and what it meant to you personally and uh so i definitely check that episode out it means everything do we want to hear our top fives yes. the real blend top five that's here. Barb and Star, one oh, through right. five and a reminder all these movies we've discussed throughout the year so search real blend and search it's a for the point movie. system right it's a point system, uh, yeah. but but I wanted to let everyone at home know we've done full reviews of I think everything on these yep. lists. So um, if you want to hear more thoughts, go check out those episodes. Quick Google search should get you there. Um, so Real Blend's top five, <laughs> according to this fantastic point system. Number five, coming from Kevin and Sean's list, we have Tick Tick Boom with sixteen points. Okay, okay. Number yes. four. This is a very interesting number four. From Kevin and Jake's list, we have West Side Story with 18 oh, points. Oh, interesting. Uh, All I'm right. happy okay. that made it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Musicals. And we have our, I believe, our first tie for second place. Oh. oh. Okay. With 19 points each, we have Whoa. Belfast, 
and Spider-Man No Way Home. Oh, and then oh. Dune is number one? Number one movie of 2021, according to Real Blend, is Dune, baby. Wow. Hey, that's a terrific oh, list. Yes. 29 points. 29 that's points, t- which, is, which is the same <laughs> number of points as our number one last year. Which was Tenet? Um, which was... Oh, no, was it Tenet? Let me look and see. I got it right Had to be Tenet. Better. Better well, be while tenant. you're doing that, because I know we're running out of time, um, we're no blend game for this week. Well, hey, well here, hang on. Let me, last thing, last thing before you do that. Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, we also, we had 19, you guys had 19 different movies across all 30 picks. So, uh, fairly various, you know, it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't like you guys only picked 12. Bench, honorable mention. Bench, and yeah, honorable mention. Anyway. <laughs> it, was a good, it was a good list. I it was a great year. Different, the top five yeah. is, the top five is pretty amazing. But Jake, I think we're going to, we have plugs for everyone at the end of the show, but I think Jake is going to bounce. He's got to go. Yeah. So. so we will see, we'll see Jake later. He's going to see Finch we'll, again. We'll leave you guys with some, <laughs> some awesome plugs here at the end. What other stats? Any other stats that you can share or no? That's pretty much about it. Um, okay. I thought it was interesting, uh, the breakdown of um, whose list had the, the four and five. Um, we'll see. We almost had a disappointment for Jake. I think, what was it, number seven? Barb and Star tied for seventh. Almost That's cracked so the good. top five. That would have been so good. Uh, Coda was number, put, yeah, Coda was number six, though. Coda okay. was number six. Okay. Uh, the free guy, free guy. He, the Barb and Star tied with free guy. Okay. Uh, right. Because Kev oh, had wow. it so high on his list. Yeah. So uh, no blend game this week. We dedicated everything to our top tens. Uh, but next week we're gonna have a lot of fun uh, playing hashtag West Craven blend. Oh. So, so make sure you play along with the horror meister, the late horror meister, who we're gonna be paying tribute to because uh, wow. Scream is opening. Uh, email us at realblend.com with your picks uh, or use hashtag Wes Craven Blend. A reminder, please drop us a review uh, and a rating uh, over on Spotify. You can give us a, 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 re- a rating on Spotify. And thank you for all the love and support. Our next premium episode, I don't know if I plugged the premium episodes at the beginning of this episode, uh, at the, of this episode but I had a lot of fun over the break going back and, and re-listening to a bunch of the premiums because I, 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 just, I guess I just don't. Um, I forget. That listen to it on Mondays. They're a lot of fun. Uh, that's kind of where we, not that not that we're very structured here in the first place, but that's kind of where we let our hair down, uh, play some really fun games, and um, get into some really personal stories. Uh, we tell a lot of junket stories and and get into some fun things on the premium. So uh, if you would like to figure out how to get those bonus episodes on Mondays, as well as an ad free version of the show and a newsletter for me, uh, head to the description. Yeah, tell me the. Check the description yes, where you okay. are listening. Thank you very much to sign up for our premium feed. So in the meantime, uh, you can find us on social media at Jake's takes at Kevin McCarthy TV at Sean underscore O'Connell at Gabe Kovach and at real blend. We'll be back next week. I have no clue what we're shouting in 2022. It can't be Hubie. Gotta be something new. <laughs> we'll have it by next week. We'll have it by next week. Adios. Hubie. Bye, Hubie. Hubie. Oh, one, one last time. All right. One, one last time. time. All right. Bye all. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.